Hey, real quick, I just wanted to let you know that Gabba Gabba Hunt is now a record store. Well, not really a store, but a booth at an antique store located in Eastridge Mall in Gastonia, North Carolina. Vintage Village is three stores down from Dillard's on the left. And my booth is on the left side of Vintage Village. It's the one with all the records. You can't miss it. I've got over a thousand records, toys, t-shirts, DVDs, VHS, all kinds of stuff there. So come check it out. Gabba Gabba Hunt Records and Vintage Goods located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. You are now listening to the Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolina's underground music scene. Hey there, welcome to episode 5 of Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks. Now I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. The guests that I have today are great. They're like pros themselves because they have their own podcast. I have Alex and Cap from the band The Fill-Ins today. As I just said, they also have their own podcast called Something Good For You. Be sure to check out the new episode of that that drops this Friday, as I'll be on that episode. They recorded with me before I recorded with them on the same day. The whole experience was a lot of fun and I can't wait for people to hear both episodes. You should also go back and check out previous episodes of their podcast if you haven't ever listened to it before. They've got some great stuff out there. I listen to it every week. You'll hear me talk about that in this episode. Now, before I get to the episode, one thing I do want to mention about this episode, there are actually two correct ways to say the name of the band Anti-Scene. I say Anti-Scene, and Alex and Cap pronounce it Anti-Scene. Now, if you're from Charlotte, you'll understand it's not unusual to hear people talk about the band in this way. Nobody even bats an eye at it. As a matter of fact, I've heard Jeff say it both ways, and he'll be the first to tell you that either way is correct. I just felt like, for anyone listening that wasn't familiar with that, they may be a little confused, so I just wanted to point that out. I also want to remind you to check out the Spit in My Face podcast. Frankie Pointless brings you the best punk rock you've never heard. You can catch that podcast at spitinmyfacepodcast.com. He drops new episodes every Saturday, and I play songs by North and South Carolina bands on that podcast for you as well. I do want to remind you that Van Huskins will be playing at Freeman's Pub in Gastonia on February 22nd. Now, Freeman's Pub shows are always free and they're always a lot of fun. And for this one, we're bringing No Anger Control and Trash Room with us. This is a killer lineup and one I've been trying to get together for a year now. Music starts up around 9, but come out early. It's always a good time just hanging out and talking to people before the show. We're going on last that night, but get there early and make sure you catch all the bands. If you're jonesing for an episode of Gabba Gabba Hunt Radio, one's coming this Friday. Haven't exactly decided what I'm going to do with it yet, but it's going to be a great episode as always. Now let's get right to this week's episode of Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks with the fill-ins. So, you guys fill-ins? Yes. Yes, sir. Alex? Howdy, howdy. And Cap? What's going on, y'all? What, what do you prefer to be called? I know Everybody calls, calls me Cap. Everybody calls you Cap. Yeah. That's what I call you. Um, I know sometimes I'll say James, but you know, and then I'm yeah. like, I, then I have to catch myself and go Cap because I'm like, nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I prob- yeah, my problem was like my parents called me Cap when I was uh, young, and even then I was like self conscious about it for a while because it's like it's not normal. But nobody- where did it come from? Uh, it's short for my middle name, which is Capel, and they just didn't want to call me. I'm third generation, and uh, nobody, I guess, didn't want to call me Jim or Jimmy or anything like yeah. that. They wanted to give it something different because my granddad was Jimmy, my dad's Jim and I'm cap. Okay. <laughs> it works. I like it. I mean, you know, especially with, with the Avengers out now and captain America is now cap to a lot of people that right. that's, that's oh, a cool it. nickname to have. <laughs> used to be Capel show and shit like that. Uh, I can see it. <laughs> <Capel show>. Yep. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> There's been a ton of them. 
So uh, I guess if we won't start at the beginning for you guys. I want to start kind of where you guys met. All right. So when, when did you guys meet? And I guess you, I think, so I'm a listener to the podcast. Right. And I know you a little bit. So I, I know a little bit of the backstory. But I guess you had the fill-ins going first. Right. The fill-ins was already banned when you met him. Mm-hmm. So we'll just talk about how you guys met, and then we'll sort of go back and fill in the I'll, backstory. I'll start off with this one just because um, – there's a lot of weird. There's a lot of weird energy shit to this story. As dumb as that sounds, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but uh, I just moved to Charlotte and I uh, was kind of looking at. I liked going to shows when I was living in Knoxville. I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee prior to uh, living in Charlotte. I was uh, went to went to Knoxville for school, worked odd jobs here and there after I graduated, but there weren't any jobs that I was into. Uh, yeah. So I decided to move to Charlotte because there were more job outlets out there and uh, more opportunities and somewhere outside of Knoxville because I'd already been there for like six or seven years. I was burned out. So I moved to Charlotte and first thing I do is look up local music venues because I, I just like going to shows even since I was living in Knoxville and I saw that a Tremont music hall was hosting Wednesday 13. And I thought, Oh, Wednesday 13 from uh, murder dolls and all that. That's cool. It's Mm -hmm. only 10 bucks. Fuck yeah. I'll go see this. Yeah. And, uh, the fill-ins were, uh, the first opener. Okay. It was a three-piece. It was Alex, Mikey, and the first drummer at the time, Matt McCoy. And um, they were. And I thought it was. I thought it was a really good band. And I decided to holler at Alex after the show. Yeah. Then yeah. we started uh, nerding out about Misfits or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. That's exactly how that went down. We um, at that point, I had moved uh, back to Charlotte. Uh, from living in Roanoke and kind of gotten a few verses of the band lined up and going, but eventually uh, met up with Mikey uh, through a mutual friend of ours, the original bassist, um, who by that point, Capsi and us was no longer in the band. No, no need to get into that. Uh, <laughs> and that was that was his own personal stupid reasons for that he's not in the band anymore, and there's no need to go through okay. that. Yeah. Uh, that's enough said. Uh, so by that point. Uh, we had already had that drive of like, fuck this, we're not stopping. I'm just going to pick up bass until I find another, you know, bassist to yeah. take back over. Cause I enjoyed playing guitar and being the front guy. I just, I was already playing bass with Biggie at that time. Biggie started us in yeah. his wretched hive. Uh, so it was like, I, I was playing bass. I wanted to play guitar again, damn it. And, um, so we took that show because, uh, John and I and, uh, Lisa and I had become really good friends and, uh, he had hit me to that. Plus, um, knowing Eddie Ford and all that, he used to be in uh, Frankenstein drag Queens, uh, yeah. which also had uh, Joe pool was a 13. So just, I had always been aware of him and sent a few emails and we got on the show. So, just for happenstance of just, you know, being able to hop on that show, Cap, it comes out and enjoys himself. So we're just hanging out at the merch booth. And by this point, you know, we'd kind of felt a little bit stronger as a band. We had some merch, you know, so I had all my, you know, attitude thing. He goes yeah. up and he's like, man, that, that was a really fun show. So I'm like, fuck yeah, new fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, hey, thanks a lot, man. You know, yada, yada, yada. But I'm like already like pimping the next show and everything because I saw this is like a huge deal. I'm just yeah. like, oh, we're not even a band together for a year and we're already on the show with a national thing. Oh, we got we to push this hard, yeah. you know. So I was already bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Oh, yeah. I, I was in like, I was in full promotion mode. Little did I know I was promoting literally the band to him to have him join. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, um... Eventually, uh, he was just like, oh, yeah, I just moved to town. He told me a little bit of his history. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, we exchanged phone numbers. And I'm not one of those people that kind of reaches out to people first. It's just not really been me. That's just, yeah, that's just how I am. But that's how he is. So That works. It worked out because within a day or so, he hit me up. It was like, hey, man, uh, if you know of any bands looking to uh, have a guitarist, let me know. 
Now, my immediate thought was, he's trying to play guitar for us. Yeah. No, I'm looking for a bassist. Well, I don't want a guitarist. And he just kept hounding me, hitting me up. And I'm like, cool, I'll let you know, man. I'll let you know. We got a lot of guitarists in town. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll let you know. And so happened that Danzig was touring and he came through and was playing Fillmore. Mm-hmm. And I went out there because uh, Doyle was supposed to be playing with him too. And I'm just like, fuck yeah. I'm, like, I'm not missing this yeah. half-assed Misfits reunion. This is the closest thing to a Misfits reunion <laughs> right. we're ever going to yeah, get. Whoopsies. <laughs> yeah, so I plopped down my $35 for the Fillmore to see Danzig and Doyle. Who do I fucking see come running up from the corner? I just town. moved to town. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> so he comes running up. Hey, dude. I'm like, oh, God, it's this guy again. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man. Because I honestly so did not remember that his name either. Oh, you. Yeah, I'm like, hey, Man, he's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm a big Misfits fan." He's like, "Dude, right? This is the closest thing to a Misfits reunion." Like, oh, I know. And I'm like, "I know." And it's like, so we we actually started kind of hanging out that night, and he hit me up one more time, going, "Seriously, man, if you know anyone looking for a guitarist, I'm like." If you know how to play bass, you can play bass with us. Yeah. And then, like a few days later, he showed up with practice with what with your brother's- my with my brother's piece of shit Epiphone uh, uh, EBS that had like a. Uh, a washer stuck in the bridge, yeah. <laughs> and we and he didn't even have an amp. We didn't have an amp for him to use. So <laughs> that soundboard you you you're using. Uh, oh, that's I guess, right. Yes, we just plugged him in di- like from his oh, base yeah, yeah. directly into the yep. soundboard <laughs> and fucked with the EQ enough to get it to where we could kind of hear him yeah. through the monitors. <laughs> and I was playing it like a guitar player, you know, just like bullshitting my way through it. Yeah, yeah but it but it worked because we were just playing such rudimentary, basic punk rock stuff at that oh, time. Yeah. Stuff like from the first time, Never yeah. Say Die, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Just Stuff that you could do whatever on bass with. Yeah, so he, he was able to just, you know, he I basically told him, like, play like Lemmy. Right, because I knew he was a big Motorhead fan. I was like, just give it Lemmy, <laughs> just, yeah, just strum much. that shit and just give it noise. Try to give it the tone, and then just like that doesn't work with that fuzzy of a bass. One, two, one, two, three, four. kind of worked out because you know looking from it from the business side it's like all right he wanted to be in it he's new to town he's not in any bands already it's like here's a chance to basically get like fresh blood yeah. it's like he's brand new to town trying to it's time to grab a new musician before anyone else does <laughs> i don't even know why it's like that's how i was in knoxville I always just hit up anybody about like trying to start a band yeah and I know, like, um, I, I talk to some guitar players that, that try to play bass, and they're always like, man, I'm just, I, I've got a new respect for the instrument, you know, because I didn't realize how hard it is to it's play. A, yeah. But I always think that a, that a guitar player makes an excellent bass player because the way I play bass, and, and I, I, I started off playing guitar, but I just wasn't that good at guitar. Right. So when I switched to bass, I picked it up a lot easier, a lot more naturally, and it helped me learn to play guitar better. Same here. But on the back end of that as well, I feel like now I play bass a little bit more like a guitar in some respects at times. I know, I know the bass is placed in a, in a song, 
but stylistically, I'm going to play it like a guitar sometimes. Yeah. Right. And I think that a guitar player makes a great bass player because they do a little bit more with it and make it a little bit more interesting. It's a diff- do, those, it, do those things that don't come quite as naturally to somebody that just learns to play bass. It's a separate, it's own a separate thing as opposed to like a jazz player or mm-hmm. a, um, um, upright bass player or something like that. It's just two completely different animals. If, if you just know the, the mechanics of playing a guitar and then you can apply that to bass, but know where it fits, then it works so well. And, and you got, and you do that. You're just it, like it, the, it's, you're an excellent bass player. You're like you're the middleman between the drummer and what the guitar yeah. players you're doing. Yeah. Cause you got you've got to stay right there with the drummer and keep that backbone. But if you can blend in with that guitar and, and add add a little bit more to that, that's that's it's really good. And if it's yeah. a drum, and if it's a drummer that just stays uh, has like little ticks that kind of like uh, can attribute to like little and mm-hmm. ones and shit oh, like yeah. that, you got to d- adapt to those, oh, yeah. and that's part of the fun too. Oh yeah. And and I kind of did the same thing he did. Like when I started playing bass with Biggie, I'd always play guitar. Playing bass and Biggie was the first time I'd done bass yeah. live. And at that moment, I realized there's a difference between be you playing bass and being a bassist mm-hmm. yeah and to me there is a distinct difference oh, yeah, you can is. either you, you can play bass or you can be a bassist because you know a lot of people say anybody can play bass which is almost almost true it's not it's not really true not you can, anybody can play you bass because you've got to have you've got to have rhythm you've got to oh, have yeah, natural right. rhythm and you've got to oh, yeah. understand music but you know pretty much anybody that wants to play an instrument if you want to start off bass is a good place to start oh yeah but there's a difference between being able to play the bass and, like you said, being a bassist, yeah. knowing that instrument and knowing the, the mechanics of it, knowing the – not necessarily the theory because I don't know anything about theory, but I know how things move from one note to the next. And you I would find, say over the years, yeah. you've actually slowly turned into a bassist. I think oh, so. Yeah. Because you, you definitely started out playing bass, but shortly after – I think exactly like what you were saying, it's getting a new appreciation for it. You started actually listening to bass parts in songs more. And you're like, oh, he's kind of running off doing his own thing mm-hmm. while the guitar is holding down the main rhythm that is always playing in my head. But now that I'm actually thinking about it, the bass is playing like the vocal melody, which yep. breaks away from the guitar riff yeah. kind of thing. It's very orchestral when you actually wrap your head around it and you kind of find your song within the song. Mm-hmm. And I think the sooner that musicians figure that out, their own songwriting gets better. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But now we'll um, so we'll, we'll come back to the fill-ins. Oh yeah. But let's kind of go back a little bit farther back now. And so you, Alex, you've been playing in bands for quite a while. I mean, you've played yeah. in you've well, you've lived in Charlotte. You've lived in Virginia. Mm-hmm. The fill-ins were were the fill-ins active in Virginia. It's, it's, yeah, it's they were. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. so. We'll, we'll get to all that. So what what was the first band you got? Uh, well, okay. So <laughs> if if anybody out there listening really wants to know a lot about these guys, right? They have a podcast called Something Good for You, mm-hmm. and there's right. fifty something episodes. Out Actually, now. Uh, your episode that we recorded before this will be episode sixty. Sixty, okay. nice. So there will be sixty episodes out. Um, wow. When, when <laughs> so if you really want to know a lot about these guys, go back. I, I, honestly, they, I listen to it every week, day it drops. Actually, I get to listen to it a day, day ahead of time uh, because, I, because I, I pay for the Patreon or I, I, I um, donate money. Yes, we do have a Patreon, y'all. <laughs> and we'll probably have one again. We'll probably have one soon. But um, So I, I listen to it every week. It's a great podcast, and I know a lot about the history of you guys. So a lot of the questions I'm going to be asking you or trying to lead the conversation will be, you know, I know this stuff. Right. That's because you're a good interviewer. Um, <laughs> but, like, if people really want to find a good place to start and really want to know a lot more about Alex, they can start mm-hmm. with episode 35, which is you and your mother 
and Jeff Clayton. Yes. So your involvement in music probably started because of your mother, because she was so involved in music. So if you want to kind of talk about how you sort of got, what, what made you decide, not necessarily the, what I want to be in a band, but right. that what, what was it about music that grabbed you that made you decide to kind of do more with it? Honestly, it may have been because nothing else grabbed me. Yeah. Because um, I was homeschooled for a while, but for a good long time, for through main grade school, like elementary school, I went to public. So it's like I was still involved with, you know, what society was interested in, whether it be, you know, NASCAR, which was, of course, was huge. I lived in Gaffney, South Carolina at the time. So it's like, you know, kids were really into NASCAR, really into rap, mm-hmm. really into, you know, that sort of stuff. And I found that I was more gravitated toward video games, staying inside, and things of that nature. And the one thing that I always enjoyed was mom just playing the radio. Yeah. So it's just I always enjoyed music. And I think it just kind of sparked from a thing of just mom bought me a guitar one year for Christmas. Just Because mm-hmm. I'd shown so much interest in music. And she's like, do you want a guitar? I was like, okay. And just completely forgot about it. Gave it to me one year. Did nothing with it for like two years. Didn't know how to tune it. Nothing. Just yeah. it basically sat in the corner. I was like, cool, I have a guitar too. You know, whatever. And then I don't know what happened. Just one day I picked it up and was actually like, I want to figure out how to play this song. Yeah. And that's just where it all came from. Never had lessons, never went to any of that. Was just given the instrument, was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then a few years later, something just grabbed me and I picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't I don't know your mom at all. I think I may have met her once. Right. But um I know she's got excellent taste in music, so I'm sure that helps. <laughs> Well, the the thing is on that is with our history, I wasn't immediately shown that stuff. That there really was that defining moment. Like actually, the episode you're talking about, I me and that's been a while ago. I don't know how much we t- touched on that one, but just recap on this. It's like when we moved to Gaffney, um, and she remarried my uh, my sister's uh, biological father. Mm-hmm. She was really trying to go in a different direction. So I, I think I remember on the episode she said something about how she tried to sort of shield you from it for a little while. She she herself was trying to shield herself. Mm-hmm. It's like she she didn't stay in contact with any of the friends that she had made here in town. All of that. She basically tried to create a new life for herself. Yeah. She she covered up any of the small tattoos that she had at the time. You know, tried to dress more quote unquote normal. Listen to the top forty stations. You know, tried to at least tried to give me a leg up and a possible chance of some sort of normality. Yeah. <laughs> Failed miserably. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's where this all kind of Actually, does. I, th- I think she succeeded in making, there you go. <laughs> making him out to be what he is today. Well, so. well, this all kind of connects with the whole guitar playing. So it's kind of interesting you brought that up. So all of that kind of met at the middle all at one time. Yeah. I was extremely unhappy in public school. Being bullied didn't feel like I knew what I liked or what I was into. I tried NASCAR. I tried popular music. It's like I didn't feel like I was passionate about anything. Good God, don't put me on a baseball field. You know, it's like (laughs) I tried it all. So it's like nothing was clicking. I didn't like any of it. And... There was a defining day where mom was just, she, we were just sitting in the house. I'd had some horrible week, you know, kid emotional. She said, oh, let's go anymore. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to show you something. And she went into her closet and pulled out her leather jacket that yeah. still had all the pins oh, on it. Yeah. And there was an airbrushed Ace Fraley on the side of the arm. Because by that point, I had found Kiss. Mm-hmm. Kiss was the only thing I felt like I really had that I was obsessed with them by then. And it was. Not because of the music, but the theatrics of it all yeah. too. It was it was captivating because I liked 
uh, comic books and video games. And of course that made me bully bait and all that shit. So it's like the few things I did like, I was ostracized for liking. And then all of a sudden there's this band that makes music and looks like it at the same time. And I'm like, this is the end all be all greatest <laughs> fucking thing on the planet. So she was like, I want to show you something. So I see the ACE thing and how that all of a sudden connects with this GBH back patch mm-hmm. and the Ramones pen and sex pistols and all this. And I'm like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> she pulls out her vinyl collection, boom, puts it on the table. I'm flipping through all the first time really seeing vinyl. Mom, why are you hiding this stuff? Yeah. And all of a sudden, like it wasn't like an odd thing. It was all of a sudden I was looking at it like a, Oh, where's this been kind of thing. Yeah. Not like a, what is this, but a, where has this been? This this feels right. Where has this been? Kind of thing. And she just started putting on records, and it's like I was getting. It's like I got like the heavy dose, like boom, all at once. Yeah. And I was like, holy fuck, this makes sense. <laughs> and after that, that was, was. She said later on in retrospect that night, she was just like, fuck. <laughs> She's like, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Like, God oh, damn well. it. <laughs> That sounds very similar to like me when I was growing up. I was bullied a lot for the things. Well, not really. I, I was I bullied a little bit, but yeah. made fun of for being just a little bit different, a little, oh, yeah. liking different stuff, comic books, and just being a weird kid. But then my dad, he didn't really turn me on to music so much, but at one point in the early 80s, he was going to go see Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. And it was he was going with his buddy. He didn't even really listen to Alice Cooper anymore. But it was they were going back. They were going because they listened to him when they were younger, and they wanted to go. His 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 buddy. I'm actually named after him. His uh, his name was Mike. All right. Um, was still a huge Alice Cooper fan. Yeah. But I was like, who's this? Who, who, who's this Alice Cooper? Who are you going to go see? And so my dad pulled out the records, and all of a sudden, you know, all these records that he'd had that he'd never listened to. I knew they were there. I just didn't pay much attention to them. All of a sudden, here's uh, Billion Dollar Babies and Killer in front of me. Mm, and nice. all of a sudden I'm putting these records on I'm going you're going to go see this take me <laughs> yeah. take me <laughs> no you know he had tickets and I was like 10 years old so. oh that's awesome but you know it was, do you remember uh, which tour that was you said it was 80s I don't remember for sure he said I think a poison opened up for him so that must have been like 87 okay yeah somewhere we, around so, someone online can narrow that down for yeah, us right. um, <laughs> but uh, so I was I would have been like 13 at that time I guess yeah, yeah. that was right around the time I started getting into like hard rock and heavy metal and that yeah. was sort of the catalyst for it and my dad to this day would probably like sit back and go, I wish I was showing him those records. <laughs> but really that was when I found it was like, all of a sudden I felt like I belong. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's more out there that are like me. And mm-hmm. then I started finding friends. They didn't necessarily go to the elementary school I went to, but once we got to middle school, we started finding each other. And we, yeah. we had these same musical tastes and we'd found these bands that, you know, we, we grew up with MTV. So we did get a good taste of like Rush and Motorhead and stuff like that. They played at night. Yeah. You know, they played some good stuff in the early days of MTV. And then bands like we were talking about on the podcast, on your podcast mm-hmm. earlier, The Cars and Blondie and Devo yeah. and all those bands. We were exposed to those. But then all of a sudden there was like this deeper level to it. I'd seen the Alice Cooper videos on, on MTV late at night, mm-hmm. um, 18, and I'm trying to remember what else they played. But, you know, all of a sudden there was this connection to my dad. Yeah. And now I had the records in my hand. And this record with a snake on it, this looked evil as fuck. That's <laughs> a, that's, it is. That's the best Alice Cooper record. That's my favorite one. Really? Yep. Killer is, oh, is, yeah. is, is the greatest Alice Cooper record, in my opinion. But um, I had that exact moment with uh, with my dad's 
uh, collection where it's like he had the one uh, Black Sabbath record mm-hmm. that was uh, so Black Sabbath was your full entrance into that, and it was like completely different from the rest of his collection. I think my dad just bought that just to be cool or whatever yeah. because the rest of his collection is like uh, Motown well, and uh, Beach Boys and things like that. You know, it's very <laughs> and Black Sabbath. And no, the one random Black Sabbath record. I'm like, what is this? Like y'all are church people. You don't have a Black Sabbath record? No, I do still have my dad's record collection that I've got. It's, it's volume it's four, got, by the way. You know, it's got stuff like Beatles in it. And it's got stuff like Jimmy Buffett in it. It's got James Brown in it. And then it's got Chicago in it. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with Chicago. I like some of their stuff. (laughs) 25 or 64 is a badass 25 or 64 is pretty cool. (laughs) And then some of their other stuff is okay. (laughs) But, you know, it's got, it's got, it's very random. And it's, you know, it's not like all rock and roll. But that was, that was, I felt like I belonged. So I I get that. I relate to you in that way. Was there anything from their catalog that they tried, like, either playing you a lot that you're just like, good God, that later on in life you wound up revisiting and being like, you know, this is actually good. Oh, I don't dude. know. I remember when I was a kid, my dad mostly listened to country music and it was stuff that was on the radio. I mean, but in the early eighties stuff that was on the radio was still like Willie Nelson. Stuff. Right. Right. So later on, I came, mm-hmm. I grew an appreciation for that, but yeah. like the later country and the, the stuff that, that came after that, not so much. No, um, <laughs> no. but yeah. He really didn't try to force music on me. I mean, even to this day, like music's not a big thing for my parents. They right. don't really get into it that much. My dad likes a few songs, and but he listens to talk radio all the time. It's just not not a big thing for them, you know. I mean, he did introduce me to it, and even though music's not a big thing for him, it was still without him. I don't know that I'd have found what I found oh, as exactly. early as, as early as I found it, at least. Yeah. No, and I think I don't. I'm definitely grateful on mom on that one because it's like after that she was like, all right, she pulled out like old photo albums yeah. and like showed me photos from like back in the day, and I was looking at it going like, it was like my first time feeling like nostalgia, even though I'd never lived through it. Yeah, it's like I was looking at it going like. I want that to be now. That looks fun. Yeah. I'm like, these people look cool. Why, why don't, and that, and that was like the big mind fuck for me at that point. So I'm just like, well, why aren't people like this now? Why are we hanging out with the friends you hang out with now? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> yes. It was like that. I was like, wait, where are these people? <laughs> She's like, Oh, that's Jeff Clayton. And I started playing Annie scene. And I'm like, this is heavy. And I was like, the, I don't hear this on the radio. And then I was like, and then hearing Joe's guitar playing, I was like, oh, I could play that. So it's like, just started trying to figure out that. And then later, Jeff Young showed me, he's like, oh, well, this is how he plays that. And I'm like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Did either of y'all take like music lessons or like uh, have a piano teacher or anything like that when y'all were kids or anything like that? Mom tried. Uh, the year I got the guitar, uh, there was a guy. <laughs> Remember when Walmart they could actually lease out those small little parts in the front of the store, and you would actually have like indie shops in a Walmart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a guy that actually had a music studio in one of the front places or like a little office for one. And uh, he sold music equipment there, but he also did lessons, but he did lessons back at his house. So when we went in there to get me a tuner and some strings and stuff, he was like, Oh, I also do lessons. And she was like, I'm signing you up for lessons. I'm like, all right, fine. (laughs) And in retrospect, he was extremely good at what he did. He just expected too much too soon and jumped in way too fast because 
we I walk in his place and he's got like I can't vividly remember the posters, but I remember there was at least a Kiss poster. But he had like a lot of rock and roll posters. I mean, he was in it. He he would have been the guy to learn from, you know. Yeah. Right. And he goes, "All right, little man, what do you want to learn?" I was like, well, uh, I like Kiss. And he's like, ah, oh, cool. He goes, you want to learn rock and roll all night? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, cool, cool. So he shows me like, you know, just basic finger stuff for the first day. And he's like, all right, uh, so next week we'll uh, pull out the tabs. You know, we'll start learning rock and roll all night. So all of a sudden, I'm just getting used to like finger exercises mm. so I can, you know, build up my strength. All of a sudden, he's like, all right, so we're going to do a, a three, four, ba ba da ba da ba da And he's like showing me like these like full <laughs> chords and everything. And I'm like, going, so I can't even play a G chord yet, sir. Yeah. And he's like showing me all this. And it, and it was just like he jumped in too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like I just went in three times and I'm like, I don't know how to play guitar. And so I sat down for two years. <laughs> <laughs> the closest thing I ever had when, when I got my first guitar. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. The man I was, I was named after, Mike. Right. He showed me a few things, and he passed away several years ago. I, I kind of wish he was still around. I'd like to. He, was, he seemed like a really good guy. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about him, but uh, he he showed me a few things, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And I guess mm-hmm. from there, I thought I'd learn it on my own, and yeah. I quickly got bored with it when I figured out I didn't know exactly what I was doing. And mm-hmm. then it wasn't until just a random night, like a year or two later, I picked it up and. Yeah. And then that same night, the band was born, and I had no idea how to play at that point. But we were going to make it real. We <laughs> oh, made it real, of course. and we ended yep. up making it real. Um, so it, it all it all worked itself out. And I, I'll, that basically same thing happened with me. It's like once I figured out I liked guitar, it's like I already had a band name in my head. It's changed a million times, but yeah. I was like, I think one of the earliest ones that I wanted to do was. NVOA, New Voices, Old Attitude. Okay. It's <laughs> not terrible. <laughs> I, I, I like hearing this stuff, like like early band names people came up yeah. with. Because you can tell that somebody really loves music when you when you find out that they had band names before they ever had a band. Oh, yeah. Like, they thought about, I'm going to put together this band. Like, we had the Dead Flintstones. and um, <laughs> But you talk to people, and they're like, oh, yeah, I had this band name and this band name. At one point, I had a band called Various Artists. Because, oh, I, because I thought it'd be funny to put it, because, you know, they've got this section for various artists in every record store. Yep. That that would be where our record would be. Like, uh, that's the stupidest, like, the worst marketing idea ever. <laughs> but, you know, at one point, that was going to be my band, Various Artists. That's awesome. I, I was actually, I wanted to do that, uh, but call it Unknown Artist. And have each one have be like track one, track two, yeah. track three. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of those in my drive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I had a similar idea on that one. So you can tell, like, every, anybody like us is still playing in bands after all these years, yeah. always kind of started off that way. Oh, that yeah. always had, there's always a pencil and paper or a t-shirt band. You know, we wrote all these ideas down or we made t-shirts, but never made any actual music. Oh man. I was even coming up with like stage plots. Yeah. <laughs> how, how I wanted those logo. Cause again, what was my big influence at the time? Was Kiss. Kiss. I look at their stage. I was like, all right, big bands had big stage shows. How do I want to do my stage show? Yeah. <laughs> I did not even have a notion of that because of where I grew up and everything too. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do stuff like this living here or whatever. Because yeah. you don't think past high school half the time, or yeah, at least so, I didn't. So I get the impression you started kind of a little bit later playing A little music. bit. Uh, about like 15, 16 is when I got my first guitar. Started playing guitar, and then you just played by yourself for a while? Or you played in, you said you played in like some cover bands and stuff, or did yeah, some stuff like that? My brother played know. bass, and our best friend uh, played drums, and we would like try to learn Rush songs or yeah. uh, Kiss songs and ACDC songs, because I would go to my best friend's house to listen to music, because his dad had all the Kiss records, all the Rush records, and a lot of like 70s prog rock, like we got into like Genesis and Frank Zappa and things like mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. And uh, 
we're like blown away by like the technicality of all of it too because you know that's where we gravitated towards Mm -hmm. punk didn't come to me until like much later well, it was like me when I first got into music really big. It was all like classic rock and 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 the the heavy metal because that's what's on the radio for lack of a better too. term, the hair metal of the time. But I listened to like you know Striper and Slayer right right beside of each other. On Striper my, and Slayer right, right beside of each other on my in my cassette case because I listened to all kinds of music. But also like classic rock got really big, and for some reason I got really big into Frank Zappa, and that was like. But you don't hear that on the radio, though. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> you, you get into that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of interesting to see where like all those influences come from. But you you ask about us playing or having lessons. Did you take lessons or I, did you just learn on your own? There were a couple of well, as far as like music and everything in general. I took piano lessons when I was younger, okay. and uh, that was I did that for a long time, about four or five years. It was, my cousin was my teacher, so. I guess, I don't know, uh, she did it out of the goodness of her heart. I forget what the arrangement was for that. But anyway, we'd, we would enjoy, enjoy it. To, an, to a point, a good chunk of it just kind of felt like homework. And that's why I never like really yeah. like took it took piano seriously. It's like I did the work you know, here and there and kind of took it seriously. But it still felt like I was going to school. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I took what I learned from all those as far as like theory and tried to apply it to guitar. Because I was taking lessons for about maybe a couple of months and then the store that was uh, providing lessons closed down. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, shit. <laughs> I had the guitar, and I didn't want to go all the way to Jackson, Tennessee, to take lessons, which was like 30 minutes away in between school schedules and stuff like that. My brother did, but I I just didn't want to. Yeah. And uh, just kind of uh, just kind of messed around with it and uh, tried to learn by ear, and that didn't go anywhere until I start, until YouTube became a thing, and I started like uh, getting visual cues oh, and yeah. going online to, like uh, look up tabs and stuff like that, and stuff from theory would click as I would be learning, and be like, oh, that's what that was all. This was all about. Okay, that makes sense, and you know, yeah. went from there. Yeah, because his brother, um, he plays bass, and he's a real bass player. Oh. <laughs> he can do like all the Primus uh, leads and uh, funk slapping and stuff like yeah. that. I know people like make fun of slap players because it's like tapping on guitar with uh, the Eddie Van Halen stuff. <laughs> That's what people want to gravitate towards. And, and, uh, but my brother was really good at it and, uh, he just wanted to do uh, more film involved stuff as yeah. opposed to music. So that was like sort of your involvement in the music was playing. In- yeah. But I was, uh, just, yeah, with my uh, best friend and my brother, but in high school, I was in the show choir band, <laughs> and we got to go to Disney World. What you play in that? I play guitar in that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. And it was still like real basic stuff, so it was like uh, hardly a thing, but still got to go to Disney World. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, when not in my high school, the, we didn't have anything with guitar in it. You know, it was, the band was just band. Yeah. Right. There was no... And nobody was listening to the kind of stuff that we were listening to anyway, let alone Rush and Frank Zappa yeah, in yeah. middle of nowhere, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, started actually playing in bands. I I got the tiniest taste. So when I discovered all that, we were living in Gaffney, South Carolina, and uh, she was remarried, uh, like I said, to my sister's biological father. And things weren't going too hot on that. And we eventually, she she basically looked at me and was like, all right, you you ready to make a run for this? And we were, I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, where are we going? She's like, back to Charlotte. I was like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we packed our bags and the three of us ran back up there and she worked like 40, 50 hours a week. By that point, I was homeschooled and I would stay home with my sister all day, babysitting her, doing my homework, all that, and just basically living life. That way, you know, we could just get out of that situation and yeah. we were back in Charlotte. And 
she at that point had made friends with Jeff Williams, Biggie Stardust, mm-hmm. and she had been friends with Russ uh, for years before she had moved down. Yeah. So every so often, just to give me a little bit of a break, one of those two would come over and help watch Katie so I could just go to my room and, you know, watch TV and just be alone for a while. Yeah. And then eventually I started hanging out a lot more with them and talking with them. And I was like, oh, these, these guys are really cool. And Jeff's like, yeah, I'm in a band, Dead Kings, and he played me some of it. I was like, wow, Armed and Delicious had yeah. just come out. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And um, 60 with the flying feet and a peepee hat. Now he plays the face of two on a muscle stand. He can't play your rock and roll. He can't play your punk rock. He has got a country soul. He grew up on heavy metal. He don't need no candy gear for flashing LED. He knows rock and roll is best. Eventually he was like, oh, you got a guitar. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of learning, you know, and he'd kind of show me a little bit more basic, basic stuff. And uh, then Russ would kind of do the same thing. And then um, the three of us ran over to uh, the Dead Kings practice space unit over at uh, Palmer Storage right down the road. They used to have a spot over there. And um, I grabbed, uh, I plugged my guitar into Steve Winsel's rig. Uh, Jeff picked up the bass and Russ sat behind the drums and we just played a handful of Ramones and Annie scene songs. And that was kind of like my very first taste of actually playing in a band. And it was, it felt electrifying. I was like, Whoa, I'd been to an Annie scene show or two before Jeff had like pulled me on stage, like swung around the baseball bat while singing, being all beat on the brad. So it's like, I'd already felt what live music was. It was different making that music. It was, it was, it was like, you know, your first kill while hunting, you know, it's like that quick little, oh, I got him no, kind no. of rush. It was, <laughs> it was that same kind of feeling. It's like after playing that song and nailing it, it was like the, oh, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it again. You know, and it's like we, we were over there for like two hours straight, just playing like the same three songs over and over. And of course, they never tired of it because they were just like, this kid is fucking enjoying yeah. himself. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like each time it was better and better and better. And, you know, and they were just real supportive on it. And then didn't wind up playing in any band until we moved to Roanoke, Virginia. And mom had been uh, doing uh, show promotions. Uh, Mm -hmm. There had been a few venues up there that were just struggling trying to get shows there. And she was like, hey, I know a lot of bands from Charlotte that would love to have a midway point when they tour. Let me help out. So she started doing that, pulling up flat tires, 25 minutes to go, Dead Kings, Annie Scene, pulling up bands, just Mm -hmm. giving them a nice little midway point. Or, hey, a three-hour trip out of town just to make a few bucks and say you played out of state, you know. And plus, we miss you guys. Come play for us, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) It was very self-serving and also trying to help the community. And through that, uh, I met up with a handful of people uh, from Pissant. Uh, I'm sure you guys, they wound up coming down to Charlotte a few times. And uh, their guitarist uh, played in another band called Angry Youth. And Angry Youth needed a bass player. I can't hold a job. I'm a piece of shit to say. I can't afford a car. Cause I live this way. Cannot pay my bills. With a pile of off right now. I was like, eh, I'm not really sure about bass. You know, I mainly play guitar. And they're like, all right, well, screw it. We'll put you on second guitar then. So I wound up playing guitar with those guys for a while. 
and uh, the EP they recorded. I've never, I just talked about this in years. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> when we were in, oh, so when we were in Roanoke, um, there was a lot of in band drama at that point with their bassist and a, a few other people. And they were in the middle of recording their debut EP. It was going to be a split between them and Pissant. Uh, they got a really good deal at the studio, and they were like, we're just going to knock out two recordings at the same time and release it as a split CD. <clears throat> so I was in there recording guitar tracks and shit. And then we go on tour and come back, and the bassist quit. <laughs> so they were like, fuck this fucker. Handed me the bass and was like, we don't want them on the record. You play bass on all of it. I was like, uh, okay. So I'm trying to like mimic his bass playing style and I'm like recording it onto the record and everything. Fast forward a couple years later, it still hasn't released. It released a few years ago, same tracks and everything. I'm nowhere on it anymore, but I still have those original tracks where I'm on like main guitar and bass. (laughs) So it's like a complete alternate version of that album. But no, but no with angry youth though, uh, that was my first touring experience. Uh, We went out for like eight days straight and I had to be like, what? I was 17. Yeah. That's funny. I've run into like, there's three people now that I've run into that got to do their first tour at 17. I'm like, wow. I just, you know, we were 20 in our early twenties. We were sort of at our height, I guess. Yeah. When we could have toured and we just didn't take that opportunity. We just, we all had stuff here that we felt like was more important, I guess. I don't know. I wish I'd have taken that chance. I just took advantage of the fact that I had no bills. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck That's it. exactly it. I, yeah. I look back on it now and I'm going, why didn't I do it then? Because I didn't have, I thought I had a responsibility then. I didn't have responsibility then. I have responsibility now. I can't it, do it. It lined up perfect. It's like I had just turned 17. Uh, they were, the tour was starting in January. Mm-hmm. It was right after Christmas. Hey, what do you want for Christmas, Alex? Money, socks, <laughs> going to warm work. stuff. Because it was going to be freezing <laughs> and we were going to be in a van that had no heat. So I was like, uh, socks, long johns, cash. Um, I was still semi doing low carbs. So I was like, Atkins bars, Slim Jims. Shit, yeah. I can put in my book bag and just munch on the entire time. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so it was like, I was like, screw it. That's literally the only chance I'm going to have to be able to do this in so far 10 years. <laughs> that was 10 years ago, and I still hadn't done it again. So it's like, I'm really glad I did. So I started around the same time, but we didn't get to go on tour. We just did everything sort of in above the garage at the house and yeah. in the basement at, at Greg's house. And, and it was still a while before we played, but that was enough to like just light a fire into me and go, this is what you want to do. Yeah. I imagine going on tour at 17, just really got to just make you go. Yeah. I want to play music. It, it did. And it, and honestly, I think that tour prevented me from going down some bad rabbit holes mm-hmm. because that band was probably the most, they wanted to be Gigi Allen. So fucking bad. Oh yeah. God. So they were just weird. They just did weird shit on stage. Oh yeah, well, not just weird shit on stage, but they they didn't understand that you know what you know Gigi kind of had to get in character, you know, mm-hmm. kind of get in the groove to do the shit he did on stage. You know, he he could actually go to someone's house and not be a shithead. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it wasn't an act that truly was him, but he knew how to turn it on and turn it off yeah. when he needed it. So like he was disturbed, but he didn't do it twenty four seven. These guys wanted to live that 24 oh, seven. Yeah. They were Gigi fanatics. Annie scene has a song called Gigi PhD talking about those kind of people. Like you yeah. didn't know the fucker we did, yeah. you know, you're, you are nothing but just a scab of what this should be. So it's like, they live that kind of shit. And 
being through all that, and the most I ever did at that time was drink, and that's the only thing I did on that tour was drink. Seeing everyone getting whacked out on pills, or mm. you know, doing shit, you know, in secret to kind of, you know, they they were trying to mask it from me a little yeah. bit, but I was I was a smart ass. I, I knew what the hell was going on. Yeah, I kept myself safe and I was kept an eye out, and everything was always fine. But they were trying to hide it some, but I knew what was happening. And seeing the outcomes of those people throughout the years, I'm like, that's dumb because when you do that. You can't play the show. Mm-hmm. There was there was one night in Lima, Ohio, that the bassist got so whacked out beforehand, we played the show without him. We played the show without the bassist because we could not get him awake. So it's like, we said, screw it, and just kind of rolled without him. And it's like, I was sitting there looking at that going, he doesn't care about music. Yeah, you know, it's like if you if you're so out of it to where you can't even do a show, you're on tour, man. This, isn't this what you always want? I was like eating up every minute. I'm, I'm like, this is a privilege. I'm on tour and I get to I get to play music, and they hand me a couple bucks at the end of the night. Wow, this is this is awesome. Yeah. This is the dream. <laughs> Why are you so out of this? Yeah. You know, and it's like that doesn't make sense to me. I wanted to be there for every moment. And there was only one night I got blackout drunk. And after that, I was like, no, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, even that I was just like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want, I want to remember all of this. So at seeing just people doing all that, I think that's what just kept me away from any sort of hard drugs. And yeah. now at this point, not drinking anymore. I just saw what it led to. And I was just like, ew, no, I want to be in the music. I don't yeah. want to be out of it like this. So that was your first experience in a band. Yeah. And first tour. And what, what, so what, about what year was that? That you probably already mentioned it, but I'm yeah, just asking I was, to kind of clarify to get. Well, that I, I consider that my first band. Uh, that I played in one prior. That uh, it was just to, to sum it up. I didn't even want to be in the band. Mm-hmm. It was a this person needed a member, and mom was like, "You're gonna do this." Oh, I'm like, fine." It was like the most wannabe like. Rob Zombie metal stuff yeah, yeah. ever. Oh no! Yeah, I only I, well, I got. I guess I should have brought it up because I did meet one important person out of it that he plays in later. But still, that that was my first band. But no, first actual band playing legit shows that mm. I was proud of. Yeah, that was Angry Youth. Yeah. <laughs> right on. And about what year was yeah, that? Uh, yeah, this was uh, 2009, 2010. Okay. Yeah, just shit wound up going south with those guys, and um, it, it just wound up not working out <laughs> and then after that was that when you started your first your your band the yeah. fill-ins or did you go to something between not that you? after that so the everyone winds up asking you know or at least earlier on like because we i don't know how but like people found us online and we we're trying to do like online interviews and for some reason everyone always asks like where did the name come from this at this point in the story is where the name comes okay. from so and it's and it's actually nice to be able to lead it up like this because people ask like where's the name come from and I give the reason and it just sounds like so cockamamie bullshit they're just like all right whatever <laughs> but by this point between that Rob Zombie wannabe band uh, that I was in I had made friends with this guy named Jason mm-hmm. and. In Angry Youth, when that bassist, after that tour, when he split, I called up Jason because he played bass in that band and was like, yo, come on over here, play bass. And he was like, all right, fine. Absolutely sucked at it. Shit went down. Both of us left the same night. So we were just chilling at the front porch. And he was like, man, fuck it. We just need to do our own band. I was like, yeah, I was thinking about it, this, that, and the other. I said, you know, he kind of was like riffing on an idea. I was riffing on an idea. And then 
a member from the first band that we played in that we played with him like twice, Mm -hmm. but then he got replaced. He wound up hitting us up and was like, Hey, I've been wanting to join a band. Do you know anyone looking? And we were like, we're thinking about starting one. Come play with us. And he had a really cool groove to him. And after a while we were like, all right, word. Well, I guess we just need to find some sort of bassist. And we were all at this party and we had been talking with this one guy. He was a really cool dude. And he was like, you guys look familiar. Have you been in any sort of bands? We're like, yeah. Said uh, three of us at one point were in this one band, yada, yada. He goes, holy fuck. So was I. It's like, (laughs) no shit. He's like, no dude, seriously. I played like five shows with them. He's like three years ago. And it's like, we just did yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And yeah. like, all of this. And it was like, it was like, do you want to try out for us? He's like, fuck yeah. So he tries out. He ain't good. <laughs> as far as, sorry, out of all of them, he was the biggest dickhead at the end of the day. Fuck him. Oh, wow. Uh, so still, he wasn't that great. But we were like, we have a bassist. And we were all just talking. And I honestly don't know who said it. If I wanted to rewrite history, I would say I said it, but I'm an honest dude. Someone, when we were talking about man names, went, we were, you know what, man? At the end of the day, we were just a bunch of fill-ins for that guy. Ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and we all, and, and it just was like, huh? We're the fill-ins. Yeah, we're just, we're all, we're just the outcasts. We're, we're just the guys that were in the background for this dude. Fuck it, we're the fill-ins. <laughs> and that's, and that's just kind of where it came from. And then uh, eventually, that drummer left. We got a different guy, you know, and that bassist eventually just called so much strong. We were just like, we're done, bye. <laughs> but in the process of that. We played like maybe three shows, <laughs> yeah. but in that process, um, Jason and I were talking and I was like, fuck it. Let's move to Charlotte. I was like, I'm, I'm about to be 18. I said, I'm fucking be out of this place. Mm-hmm. I said, let's move to Charlotte. Let's just, let's start up the fillings in Charlotte, man. And he was all for it. We went down a few times. We were looking at apartments, figuring out jobs, everything else. He was all for it. Like, Two months before he got cold feet Mm -hmm. and was like, "Ah, I'm sorry, man, I can't move. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. I was like, come on, man. And then shortly after, when I started it back up and pulled the name back out, he and the drummer started a smear campaign. Like, like dead serious, like our old promo photos with like the circle and the line through it saying like boycott the fill-ins and shit like that. (laughs) Wow. All because... They abandoned it, yeah. and he knew I was coming back down to Charlotte to start up the fill-ins again. He knew that. I was yeah. like, well, I told him straight up. I was like, if you're not coming, I'm still going. I said, I'm I'm doing this. I yeah. want I want to make music, man. I said, I'm going back to Charlotte. I'd already met up with Tony at that point, and he's like, Yeah, dude, say my place, fuck him. I was like, Sweet. So I was like, Yeah, I'm still going. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And he was like, All right, fine, whatever. Best of luck to you. And then five months later, when I started promoting it again, they just took a fucking huge turn. They found a way to delete the Facebook page, all of this shit. So it's like, even from the ground up, I was already at an uphill battle dealing with people in Virginia, influencing Charlotte people because I had been friends with all of them. I started promoting a band. So of course they're going to add my bandmates. Mm -hmm. So now I'm getting all this anti-Philins propaganda as I'm trying to start the band new. (laughs) Well, most people would have just changed the name at that point. At that point, I was never going to let it go. (laughs) It's like, oh, you started shit because of this? I'm calling this this until the end of fucking time. <laughs> and it's like, and and he's tried causing crap every so often here and there, but I hadn't heard from him in about like 
three years. Yeah. The, the last time I heard from him is uh, when we put out our first demo CD. Uh, there was a song on there that uh, he still helped write. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what the fuck, man? I said, hey, I, asked, I, I, I actually hit him up early on before he even recorded it. I was like, hey, we're planning on doing this. Would you like to come in and maybe do a guitar part on it? You know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. So I'm just trying to dig up some old stuff. We're kind of rewriting it. But, you know, hey, whatever, this, that, and the other. He was like, no, nah, no, I don't want to do anything with it. I was like, cool. We did it. And he was like, fuck you for even doing it. I was like, I told you. <laughs> Which one was and then, this? And then like two days later, he was like, well, you know, man, I had some time to think about it. And, you know, I'm not mad at it anymore. Whatever, dude. It's like, all right, fine. <laughs> That's, what song was this? Uh, no Strings Attached. Okay. Yeah. So second album. I think at some point, everybody needs to let go of the fact that they wrote something because usually anything that you write has already been written before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the so thing is, is we changed that, that, riff, so that riff that you wrote really isn't all that special. Just <laughs> let go of it. You're not in the band anymore. Just let go of it. Yeah. And it's like, and I rewrote half of the lyrics and we even changed up some of the riffage enough. So I was just like, we rewrote it, man. <laughs> I take that as a demo. <laughs> so what was the reason for moving to Charlotte? Was it, was the scene in Roanoke not that good? Or was it just because of the bands that were in Charlotte? I mean, there was still a connection, I guess, to Charlotte from your mom. Yeah. You know, there, and Russ and there was a handful of reasons. Um, one, I had met a whole bunch of friends, uh, when we moved to Charlotte the first time, yes. uh, Russ's kids, Cody and Kelsey, mm-hmm. I had met them and immediately became friends with them. So yeah. it's like, and I still had friends from South Carolina that, and cause Gaffney's pretty close to Charlotte. That's like maybe an hour and a half yeah, drive. Yeah. So it was like, I still had friends even in South Carolina even. So I was like, ah, all my family is yeah, back home, exactly. you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And so, and I knew that the music scene was big there. Uh, by that time, I had come down a few times, and Jonathan Hughes, 25 minutes to go, uh, he had invited me up on stage to play with them a few times. I can't seem to understand where it all went wrong. It's all about the life you live, just how far you fall. When it comes to being on the outs, cannot live alone. We'll fight as one, we'll die as one. So I got to do that one time right before we moved to Roanoke with uh, Eric, uh, my stepfather. Uh, so we, I did that once right before we moved up. Mm-hmm. And then anytime we came down for a 25 Minutes to Go show after that, John was like, you're playing with us. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> so he had always pulled me up on stage to do that. And it just felt so good being on the Milestone stage, yeah. playing that stuff and just having a cool captive audience. And I'm like, no, this is this is where the music is. This is where I want to go. And the Milestone has, there's something special about the Milestone. There really is. I mean, anybody ever talk to about it, it's just it's magical it's undeniable (laughs) so no it's like so I just I really just wanted to get back home it just felt like home even though Mm -hmm. I had spent only a couple years there for memory it's like even though I lived there some when I was young young it's like I don't have any vivid memories of that Mm -hmm. but it's like I just wanted to come back to where I knew I belonged so was but the scene in Roanoke at that time was there a decent scene or was it it was almost non-existent, okay. yeah. and, and that's why it took forever to even find a basis. We found one on happenstance, mm-hmm. and he wasn't even that great. He he played it. He wasn't that great mainly because he had limitations, but refused to work around them. He worked. Mm-hmm. He did machine work, so his hands weren't very like limber. Yeah, but refused to play with a pick. Had to play with his fingers, mm-hmm. so he couldn't do like a do 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 do. Everything had to be boom boom boom. 
boom, oh, yeah, boom. Yeah. It all had to be at a certain pace for him. He refused to hold a pick and actually use his wrist that he could move fast. Yeah. <laughs> he had to fucking play with his fingers, but because of the machine work he had done, is he didn't have a lot of control and movement in his fingers, but he had to still fucking do the thong, 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 thong. <laughs> but no, the, the scene there... Almost non-existent, and then the things that were there were things that were influenced by the Top 40 radio at the time. Yeah. The stuff that was like the... Uh, I try to explain this as a musician standpoint, where the drums are doing a lot of the washy cymbal stuff, yeah, like this, yeah, yeah. and like, the big open chords, and the... Just like e- metal core and stuff like that, like the emo stuff yes. on top yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not even really emo, it's like the emo rock that actually got played on the radio. I like Kill Switch Engage and shit like that. There Early two thousands, yeah. Yeah, that kind of, that's what it was. That was every rock quote unquote rock band where I was growing up to. They all wanted to be a version of Kill Switch or Disturbed. Because one yeah. thing I will say about Charlotte is Charlotte has always had excellent musicians, excellent bands, really good variety of music. Yeah. The the scene itself is lacking at times as far as support for the scene. Okay. Yeah. Um that's what that that's the only thing I'll say about Charlotte. But Musically, there's there's a lot going on in Charlotte. It always has been. And I, and I hate that because in the kind of work off what you've done, I mean, we hadn't even really talked about this, but it's like that's part of the reason we go to Atlanta a lot mm-hmm. because we had been pushing at this here locally for about four years and had you know just our tiny little pocket of people that would come out. We played twice in Atlanta, and I look at my Spotify numbers, and more people are listening to us there than here. Yeah. Yep. So it's like we we just go where we want and you know where we're wanted and those people just quickly supported us. So it was like holy fuck, thank you guys, we're coming back. <laughs> it's weird and it's had peaks and valleys. It's had times when you know support was really good and but based. there's just so much quality here. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's and that's why I, that was kind of my workaround to go. It's like I wish folks here would kind of step up more like some of the other scenes do mm-hmm. because Atlanta has some great bands just like we have some great bands. And it's like, and I would love for that bridge to be crossed a little bit more because yeah. we're so close to each other. We're yeah, two and exactly. a half, three hours from each other. There's no reason why both of these scenes can't combine together a yeah. bit more and yeah. show each other that sort of support. And but even, it's like, even I was talking last week or with, with uh, Brandon about how just even within North Carolina, like I don't really know what's going on in Raleigh that much. Mm-hmm. And, it really should. I mean, we really should try to cultivate more of not just a Charlotte scene, but a regional scene. Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, good stuff coming out of South Carolina, too, particularly yeah. in Greenville and Columbia and things like mm-hmm. that, too. Yeah, there's some great bands I, I've discovered recently from that area. Well, it's like and, we've and been with, doing a bunch of booking stuff, and we literally a message we sent in the thing is a message we shouldn't have to send, which is, who books in Asheville? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we sh- people should know that. That shouldn't be one of those things where it's like, huh. <laughs> you know, it's like you shouldn't have to think on yeah, everything's this, like kind of separated now. And I guess it's because of the, the, the amount of options that people have, especially so this just, kind of music too. Yeah. It's just, you're just not aware of it unless it's right there in your backyard, unless you go out and see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some great bands all over. And, but the people that book them, they all have to do it DIY style too. They're not going to book at any of these, uh, live nation or, uh, you know, professional, uh, booking, uh, venues mm-hmm. or anything like that for, uh, let alone local bands that play this kind of stuff. So you have to find uh, DIY promoters that are just as passionate about this stuff as we are. Yeah, and that that's that's another thing that seems to be lacking. But um, that's that's one of my gripes about the Charlotte music. Scene. Yeah, I love Tommy's and Milestone, and I love Tommy's and Milestone. Yeah, I'm gonna just kind of stop it right there because I, 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 I there's no media. There's, there's nothing against Skylark. We just haven't played there yet. Yeah. Um, 
really, I'm going to just sort of talk about bigger venues, mm-hmm. but like, um, feel more underground, whatever, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're more corporate anyway, but even like Amos's and neighborhood theater is just so hard to get into as a local. Cause a lot of times they don't do local openers or if they do, it's like, well, we need to just sell this many tickets if you want to play because of the venues like that, their bottom line is their overhead. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's just, that's just what they're going to see about first and foremost. At the end of the day, I get it. But, you know, I really, really, this is where I really miss Tremont because I remember back in the day, it didn't matter who came through. If Social Distortion came through, the Belmont Playboys were going to open that show. Yeah. If they had a big band come through, a local band was going to open that show mm-hmm. because they supported local music. Yes. And I really miss Tremont for that because, you know, I can go to Milestone or Tommy's or Snug Harbor any day and see, you know, local bands and, and mm-hmm. get. And Snug's another one of those places. It's a little tough to get into, but, you know, they, I, I dig what they're doing. Yeah. And they're working with the neighborhood they've got. That's another thing. Yep. But, um, you know, when it comes to, like, lo- local bands don't get bigger exposure these days. Yeah. It used to be that if a, if a big band came through, a local band was going to at least get to open up. And you might play while everybody's still walking in the door. Right. But you're going to get a little bit more exposure. Oh, yeah. That stuff just doesn't happen that much anymore. Not in Charlotte. Neighborhood theater will, will tell you flat out, you don't bring a thousand people in here. We're not going to book you. Yep. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. And that's tough. And that's tough to guarantee a thousand people. You can't, you, well, you can't guarantee a thousand people until you get a chance to open up for somebody that's going to bring 2000 people. Yeah. And then half of those people will be like, Oh man, I dig what these guys, these guys are doing. Yeah. I'm gonna come back and see those. Or maybe even a fourth of them. But by the time you do that a couple of times, you start to bring those people in, and then you can play those places. Mm-hmm. I would love to have a scene where a local band plays a place like Neighborhood Theater and packs it out. Oh, yeah. That'd be That's great. That's a dream. And it happens in some places. It's just not happening in Charlotte right now. I know. And, 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 that's, and that's just an unfortunate thing. I mean, and even to kind of draw a quick comparison, and it's not even truly a who you know in these guys' scenario. They, they genuinely put in the work for it. Uh, the stir. Mm-hmm. Um, they started out um, – we knew them that we were playing with them at star bar. We played with them at the milestone, mm-hmm. you know, they were on tour in a tiny rinky dink van, but it's like years prior to that, they had still been pushing and pushing and pushing, just putting everything they had gotten into it. And I get a text from Andrew one day. He goes, Hey, big shit's happening. And he sends me just an emoji of a gear. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh? Okay. I was like, interesting. And then a few weeks later he goes, no, seriously, dude, I'm so fucking excited. Our hard work's paying off. I'm like, okay, okay, what's going on? And then he just went dark on me for about a month. I'd send him a text. I didn't hear anything. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? All of a sudden, like machines came out and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Rebranding. And then it was like, we're playing Epicenter Fest. We're on tour with Crowbot. We're on tour with Fozzie. We're doing this. We're Mm -hmm. doing that. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And it was just that thing of... Exactly what you're saying. They built up that local audience. They they would play one of those venues that are about that size and pack it out. Yeah. And it, and it's just I I love seeing that sort of success stuff. I don't. That's not a jealousy thing. I look no, at that and yeah, I go, exactly. Wow, my buddy did it. Yeah. My buddy made it. Fuck yeah, dude. And it's like I sit like every time he releases something, I still send him a message like fucking kick ass man, fucking killer. And he's like, dude, thank you for the support. I don't hear from a lot of people anymore. I'm like, dude, I'm fucking proud to say one of my fucking music friends is killing it yeah. in the scene. <laughs> fucking do it, man. Kill it. So it's like, I just wish Charlotte could do that a little more. I feel like what winds up happening sometimes, there's a bit of unintentional competition that turns into jealousy. Yeah, Yeah. it does. They're excited to see a band get to a certain point, but when they perceive that point to surpass them, Mm -hmm. then it's an issue. 
It happens. And, and I've, I feel like I've, I say I feel, I have experienced that firsthand. And it's, and it's surprising because it's like, I don't care who gets bigger than us. Yeah. I want to see that band succeed because guess what? When you guys are fucking playing the big stadiums, they're going to be like, where's this band from? Charlotte, North Carolina? Exactly. Those guys must be pretty cool. I don't care who makes it. I just want to see. I want to see somebody make it. Yes, it's like one of those deals where it's like if one of, if one of us makes it, we all make it yeah. kind of deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Andrew think... said that exact same thing to me right. one time because he invited us to see uh, Fozzie, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Hey, we'll get you back, you know, hang out for the show, this, that, and the other." So it's like all of a sudden being in their tiny little bus now in this fucking like RV type thing. And I was like, dude, holy fuck, this is so cool. And he's like, yeah, man. He goes, just keep pushing because if one of us makes it, we all make it. Yeah. And, and and he was saying that by going, hey, I hadn't forgot about you guys. Let's hang out. I'm in your town. Let's let's do something. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's. I wish more people had that sort of attitude. Yeah. I think mean, because there, there's been some bands that have gotten a taste of it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really seem to sustain that much around here. No. But anytime that anybody does, if anybody can break out, or anytime we can get more eyes on the scene. Anyway, we can get in more eyes on the scene. I I'm just I'm, I'm all for whoever getting I, bigger and bringing some, of, drawing some more attention. I think one of the last big bands for any genre to really come out of this area, at least, I think is Avid Brothers. That's what I was going to say. Because they're from Concord. Yeah. And that's close enough. That's yeah. like our neighbor. So it's like, I think that's one of the last big mainstream artists that got recognition that's from the Carolinas. Yeah. And like anybody else is like somebody that participates on any of the uh, singing competition shows. Like, wasn't Chris Daughtry from around here? Yeah, and, he was uh, from around here. There's a. Uh, there's that Haldenberg. thing or Yeah, I don't know how you say his last yeah. name, but. Yeah, he's kind of blowing up right but now. But that's too. not really going to bring a lot of attention to what we do, though. No. Not I mean, to show. Somebody had to tell me that home, uh, was Daughtry was from Charlotte, and I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I didn't famous. even know that either. I mean, <laughs> Wal- Walburn's got to open up for that guy, that Jake, however yeah. you say his last name. And Trey actually got to play guitar. He sure did. With the, with the guy. So that, mm-hmm. that's awesome. But, you know, it's going to take a little bit more than that. It's going to take something a little bit more homegrown, I think. I think so. To, to really set, set this up back. I'm proud of what the Walburns are doing too. They're starting to get a nice little like uh, following too. Very good. <laughs> Their drummer's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the drummer's alright. He's alright. He's alright. We don't need to feed him his ego that much. No. He, he already knows. <laughs> he knows. He knows that shit already. <laughs> I think I think too much. I'm burning out. Day by day without a doubt. Yeah. I hit me right between the eyes And now I'm blind Run away, just don't look back Go and hide Oh no Oh no In between In the sheets So Cap, you were in Knoxville. Well, you were, you said you grew up in in West Tennessee and uh, in Nutbush. We're not Nutbush. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right about ten minutes from uh, Nutbush, Tennessee, and there's like literally nothing there but uh, cow farms. Yeah, which I would go and help uh, do every weekend. Yeah, but uh, I moved to Knoxville to go to school, and uh, while I was there, uh, I would of course go out and try to find folks to play with. And what I found, what I stumbled upon, was the college radio station and. Yeah. Uh, Kind of uh, got to know, become really good friends with the staff over there. I volunteered over there mm-hmm. more than anything, but uh, stuck around long enough, and I was able to get uh, my own show with uh, some friends of mine that played music too. And uh, the 
two guys I did the radio show with, tried to start a band with. Yeah. But uh, everybody just kind of quit after a minute just because we weren't playing that many shows and we were all on the verge of graduating too. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of one of those deals and we would play like <laughs> Deep Cut, Bon Scott, ACDC, and Thin Lizzy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We were those. Because we would play that stuff on our uh, radio show too. We would uh, play uh, obscure classic rock that yeah. we would uh, you know nerd out about when we were teenagers and shit like that. Yeah, we did our radio station. We played a little bit of everything, so it was always always fun to be able to have that much freedom. So I get like like we talked about earlier. That's that's what made me decide going to school to be in radio and actually doing radio made me decide I didn't want to do radio. Anymore. I know it. <laughs> I didn't even think about radio going into school. Like I was a farm kid, and I thought I was going to be getting into like uh, you know ag business or yeah. something like that. But uh, as soon as I got obsessed with radio, I started doing like odd summer jobs in radio stations, working uh, running boards for like minor league baseball games and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, I got bit by that bug real hard and got to do some interviews with touring musicians and stuff like mm-hmm. that, too. And that was pretty cool. And uh, and got an internship with uh, one of the big radio stations in town. They played country radio. I mean, there's only like three. There's only three big uh, major radio stations in Knoxville. Well, at least it was at the time. And they carried everything. Yeah. And uh when my internship was over with, they got bought out and that was my, uh, introduction to the business end of things yep. <laughs> because everybody either like got laid off or they quit. And then I realized the turnover ratio in the industry is staggering Yeah, and that kind of ruined it for me. And then just kind of went, well, there's no jobs here in Knoxville. So I moved to Charlotte and tried to start fresh. Yeah. So I imagine like sort of with me, the fact that I got into radio at the age that I did, and I was exploring new music at that time. And I you was probably, too. You probably like, because you got into radio, got into a lot of bands you wouldn't have just Oh, yeah. Especially because you start digging through the catalog they got in the station. Oh, what yeah. What everybody else is playing. And this was college radio too in like uh, mid-2000s. Yeah. So there's more like shoegazy, you know, indie pop, yeah. rock and stuff like that too. But uh, of course with everybody in, in the station being real knowledgeable about music because that's their job, we would go pick each other's brains on like old obscure country music mm-hmm. and obscure classic rock music. It's like, holy shit, you know who this band is? Holy shit, you know who this is? And then go from there. Yeah, yeah you're that, that was a big part of my learning was being in radio. I mean, just like with the people that I did radio with and the, the just the the catalog I was exposed to. It. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, man, I can, what's this sound like? And then just picking out stuff and going, and I play s- it out on the radio. <laughs> and since I was in a college town, there was more exposure to like, you know, um, more like punk rock and stuff like that. I discovered the Stooges when I was yeah. 18 and that was my gateway. That was like the last band that changed music for me. I think oh, yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> now you're telling me, uh, you remember discovering super suckers and any scene through the college station too. Any scene for sure. Uh, and super suckers. Now that I think about it, they had, uh, it was the, uh, little, the slow down reggae version of creepy Jack a low uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Then I found out about the real version. There was actually a show that used to go and hang out in called the fun house. That, was a gateway to a lot of that kind of stuff too, like social distortion and uh, Lucero and things like that too. Yeah. This was about the time when uh, a lot of country artists were embracing, you know, their rock roots from playing in like, uh, like listening to classic rock growing up, but then discovering how good country music is and how like the song is like the Jason Isbells and Sturgill Simpsons of the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. We're all coming up around the same time. And that's when those worlds were starting to clash a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was a fun time to be in Knoxville. Yeah. <laughs> It's like with the radio show, I had the the one guy that was like my Rush Led Zeppelin buddy, and mm-hmm. the other guy was my Johnny Thunders uh, Iggy Pop buddy. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so just travel between those worlds all the time while trying to put a show together and shit like that. Yeah, we um, 
there, there, there's a whole episode about it. When we met our friend Roger and he introduced us to that, he was a big gateway for us into like a lot of cool music. We were already on our way. We had already found our way into punk rock. Right. He was like, okay, so now you guys know about punk rock. Here's all this stuff. Here's the stuff I don't show you in the manual. But it, it really is. It's like radio sometimes gets you there because if you can get involved in college radio, that's where it is. It's college radio, not oh, yeah. any other kind of radio. College radio really kind of start, sort of push you in that direction because then you can find all these other artists. And it kind of showed me how the sausage was made too, especially with uh, you know with some of these venues uh, having to be on location and uh, meeting some of these uh, guys that had a little bit of a name to them, like a uh, few things I can uh, examples I can think of: Les Claypool, Lucero, mm-hmm. and uh, Meat Puppets. Yeah, they came in and they did a. It was kind of cool because uh, even though I'm not that big of a, of a Nirvana fan, they came and played this little p- pizzeria that I would go to all the time and uh, on. Uh, Nevermind's anniversary day. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. So it kind of shows you how the sauce was made in the industry and the booking end of things mm-hmm. and like who to get in touch with as far as, you know, managers and stuff like that too and the proper lingo on that end. Yeah. And that's also why it's been a huge help in the band too is, you know, I, I can write up a pitch email, but then, you know, trying to find the right connections to stuff is sometimes a little bit more difficult. And he, he knows me. He's like, all right, well, if we're trying to get to these people, we actually need to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm yeah. like, all right, word. So it's like his background and knowledge on all that is extremely helpful even for the band. Yeah. I didn't even think about that because I would hit up uh, – sometimes I would just like cold email uh, some of these bookers I would find because on some of the Facebook pages – they're just right there for the public to see. Yeah, they um, put it there. And I would get like phone interviews with like Zach Wild or Derek Trucks and shit like that because like they have it up there and it's just like, why not? Yeah. And yeah, a couple of them said yes. And it's kind of like, huh, was that easy? All right. <laughs> and just set it up <laughs> what from was there. the craziest interview you wound up doing? Probably the Zach Wild one. Yeah. yeah. That was when he was putting out his uh, book. He was doing a book tour, and he was doing like, and Zach Wild is such a press whore anyway. Through any all of his uh, guitar and gear stuff, mm. he'll go out and do anything because he's just that. That's just what he does. Yeah. So I was able to get a hold of him. He used to have his phone number <laughs> and everything too, but I lost it. I lost it down the line in between phones. But hey, Zach, check out this new. No, <laughs> I never. Hit, I never hit up anybody afterwards. Sure, did not do that. <laughs> You're a professional. Exactly. <laughs> That and uh, Les Claypool actually came in and did a in person. That was, I'll take the Zach Wild one back. That was probably the craziest one just because Les Claypool was like oh, yeah, in he's, studio. He's and that was like my brother's dude growing up, too. So you said you decided to move to Charlotte. Was there any particular reason you wanted to move to Charlotte, or just it was the opportunity? There was opportunities yeah, to not, find nothing musically that led you here just nothing musically at all just to find you know work and uh just to change uh change the change of scenery yeah. and at the time i was doing a lot of free uh freelance work for uh, entertainment groups that would put on football games mm-hmm. and espn was uh coming to charlotte and they're yeah. putting together like their media outlets over here and i thought I, if i keep doing this yeah and i was doing that for a minute but it was only so sporadic and the hours were awful mm-hmm. and i just didn't want to travel all that much for uh Something like that, and you're working like, there was one weekend I worked at least 20 hours a day doing baseball coverage, sitting around doing nothing, but oh, you had to be on location. God, yeah. yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> and then you, spit- you said a lot of it was like you were just helping lay cords. Yeah. So it's like you That's weren't even like in the thick of it. You were just like, they were like, put this cord over here, and you're like, all right. <laughs> it's like unfoil cable. Sometimes I'd hold up the parab dish, and Larry Fitzgerald was right in front of me one time, <laughs> but he missed uh, he missed his catches every time. I was hoping he'd get a touchdown in front of me, but it didn't happen. Look, my mom on TV. But uh, no, just none of that was ever consistent. And uh, by the time I decided that I was moving on from that, the fillings were starting to be more active anyway. Yeah. So you guys met. We talked about that earlier. Yes. Just how you 
first met. Yeah, yep. I was just like, shut up, here's a bass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have the bass. And that, that, was, that was before the, the first album, The Hipster Killers. Correct. So you yeah. hadn't released an album yet before... We had had like a few demos out. Um, when I was living with Tony, uh, we lived right across. Basically, all the dirtbag guys lived in the same apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in the same room, but in the same apartment complex. Dirt, dirtbag love affair. Correct, yes. Yeah. Well, let's say that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> dirtbag <laughs> love affair, not just talking, the dirtbag guys. We're talking about dirtbags. <laughs> no, Devin Holiday, Davey Dirt, they had their own apartment, and then I lived with Tony. Um, so we with Devin's place, uh, he had like Pro Tools and inputs and everything on his computer because mm-hmm. he was always cutting demos and recording stuff. He was heavy into music uh, currently playing with the cheats now he moved up to pittsburgh okay yep and um so yeah i utilized that and cut some rough demos uh with the bassist i had at the time before we played in the shows her name was uh shay hooks she used to play in another band uh fuck i can't remember the name right i think the pistoleros mm, yeah i remember that name. yeah i think she was in that for a minute if i got it wrong sorry guys but i do i did pull her from something she was extremely talented so we cut a few uh computer demos Played a few shows, and then by the time we had Matt on drums and Mikey on guitar, we released an EP called Traveling Into 2014, Mm -hmm. where we had two originals and a cover of Traveling Band. (laughs) And it was recorded just on our phones, and I was kind of proud of it. It's not available anymore, but at the time I was proud of it because I did multi-track recording on my phone using that version of GarageBand. So it was like we recorded Matt playing just drums, and then I put in headphones and recorded just the guitar parts, and then Mikey did the same, and then I put bass on it, and then I put vocals on it just at home randomly when I felt in the mood and just mixed a three-song EP on my phone just to put something out there. There, There's a couple of uh, Van Huskin songs. You can still find them on youtube but mm-hmm. our first couple of, of demos we did uh, motherfucker motherfucker and queen of the library and we did it the same way on garage band yeah. on phone. Uh-huh. And, and that's and it was a fun way to do it it was free and i was just like i want to put something out i was just through a laptop and an interface <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting to go back and listen to those songs because when we did them on eric's phone they're a lot slower than we actually recorded them later so yeah it's, well, it's because you got more comfortable yeah, with it probably it's a completely different take and, a, and and we just grew mm-hmm. yeah and then after that um shortly after he joined on he started picking up songs immediately because mm-hmm. he had already he i wasn't dealing with a newbie you know it's yeah. like he had already played guitar for a while so learning a song was nothing to him after like the second practice he had the material yeah. and by that point I had taken a handful of songs that I'd still been working on in Virginia, stuff like Let Go, um, Dancing with the Devil, Shut the Fuck Up, handful of the songs that we were writing up in Roanoke. I brought those down, got those done, and then we recorded with Shay. I wrote Save the Rock and Bastard of Society. And then with this lineup, we wrote <clears throat> um, Never Say Die and a okay. handful of others. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, and Give It to Me. And then basically by that point, it's like I just had enough collection of songs together. I was like, fuck it, it's time to record. Right. And then we met up with uh, Sir Barry Hannibal, uh, drums for Annie Scene, and then bass, and then now drums again. Yeah. <laughs> um, Annie used to sing for Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah. Sure did. That's very true. And, um, yeah, so we went over to his spot. He had a back – we called it Backyard Studios because he just had a shed with uh, sound treatment in there, mm-hmm. you know, just a basic recording thing, and that's what – Cap was talking about on uh, our episode, which was uh, we recorded 12 songs in a weekend. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and we just, we hit it hard, we hit it fast, and after that it was just, 
what's next? Cause, cause, yeah, because we didn't know what the next move was. Yeah, because it was real easy at that point. It's like I'd finally had a band together. We had all these songs, and now we recorded it and we released it. I know you're the one that's always getting beat down and thrown around, but you always smile behind your frown. You just gotta say, so don't let them get down. You're being that, and that's a fact. But never say that. So was Mikey the first guitarist you played with when you moved down here? Or? Yeah. Uh, the weird thing on that one, the bassist at the time, we were hanging out together, and uh, I was like, I want to get the fillings back together. He goes, oh, yeah, that'd be cool, because I'd played with Chris Engler uh, on drums for a minute when Shay was in the mm-hmm. band. And then to connect it all back together, I still keep all these people close. Chris Engler now does graphic design, yeah. and he did our cover for yeah. the new record, along with the uh, single Long Way to Go. He did that artwork yeah. also. So... Years later, he's still part of the band in some way, yeah. shape, or form. Uh, so we did a handful of shows with him and Shay, hanging out with the bassist at the time for before Cap. It's like, yeah, I want to do it again. We were listening to 21st Century Goliath. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, that drummer's available. <laughs> <laughs> so I call up that guy because I had ran into him a few times at like Super Suckers and everything else. And then we got all that together. So just everything kind of leading up to that point after the first record, we just didn't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And we started writing a little bit more and uh, kind of found our sound uh, when we started writing like spit in my face, I think. Yeah. That was a riff Mikey came up with because especially early on, I was real tight fisted with songwriting. The first record is very much Alex. There there wasn't a whole lot of input from others. Um, Mikey had a good hand in um, Give It To Me. And the other bassist, he wrote the main little bass line for Never Say Die. But like outside of that, it was very much, you know, if I didn't like what you were playing, no, we're not playing that kind of thing. And then when Fifth Times the Charm rolled around, it felt like, okay, after playing all these songs long enough, they kind of have the right feel. And Mikey was still struggling. He's a metal guitarist. I could tell. And he was struggling to kind of find that punk rock vibe that we had at the time. He was really struggling to... We never wanted to refer to it as dumbing it down, but he was still just being way too intricate for the kind of style we were going to play. And all of a sudden, he just tuning his guitar, getting the sound right, started playing the opening riff to spit in my face. And I was like, hey, that that's what I'm talking about, man. And he was like, oh, really? I was like, yeah, that's awesome. You know this life is just God's crazy game. If that's the truth, then we're all going down the flames. The future is now. The future is but you're not gonna see it if you get to me And if you listen to that song, it never really moves away from that riff because he just started playing it. Matt started jamming on drums, and then I started kind of playing along with it. And I had two bass lines to keep the uh, monotony uh, away from it. <laughs> yeah, and then he wrote just two random bass lines for it, but that song is the same three chords over and over played slightly different. We, we have a different timing for the verses, yeah. and then a slightly different timing for like the uh, solo parts. Yeah. So it's just it's the same riff, just I think we hold a note at different spots. That's it. That's all it was. And it just, it was a jam song, and... 
peeled the curtain back a little bit. We played it three times live, and I didn't have lyrics for it. Nope, you just had that melody over and over again. <laughs> because I knew the places we were playing, you couldn't hear the vocals yeah. anyway. So I was literally just doing like a, Don't really what that bit is. Ow! <laughs> thinking on it a lot of those songs actually came from tuning jam sessions mm-hmm. yeah even, even uh the morning after uh that started with uh our drummer was going into a manson phase like he he listened to fucking everything but just he had dug back in Marilyn manson was like really digging on them for a few months that intro is the beautiful people that he started doing that but then Changed it up and started doing yeah. and started kind of yeah. jazzing it up some just to now, do it and you know mess around and stuff. Yeah, so it's like he would start with that beat and then kind of progress from it, doing his own thing. And then I just kind of looked at him. I went bonk, 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 and started kind of putting my own little riff on it. And I just kind of looked at him. And I went yeah, I screamed and he did the fucking drum roll. And then we just started jamming on the song. And within three practices, we had the song. And it says a lot of those songs did just come from just not knowing what we were going to do. And just kind of taking these jam sessions and like turning them into songs. (laughs) I know there's the the connection with Mm anti-scene, you know, because Jeff Clayton's your stepdad I guess yeah. he married mama after I was over 18 so call that what you will <laughs> before we like talk like about the new record uh, sort of talk about how that played an influence or did that help you out in any ways did it hinder you in any ways to, to be to have that connection um I think indirectly it's hindered us a little bit only because of the connection mm-hmm. but at the same time I've also tried making a conscious effort to not I've been using this word a lot lately. Uh, to not have any sort of nepotism. Happen. Yeah. I, well, you don't. You don't. You don't promote it, or you don't try to hang your hat on it or anything. I know that. Well, it's because we've had multiple times before this record to include Clayton on something, mm-hmm. and because we had batted it around the few times. Because like um, on Fifth Times of Charm, there's a song called "Deaf Right Ear," and it was written about Joe. It was yeah. shortly after his passing. And um, now, now in retrospect, I wish I'd rewritten it because I've got so much better ideas for it now. I'm, I'm disappointed in the way the song turned out now, but it, the idea was there. Yeah. I just wanted to at least get it out there. But so it's like I still there was a refrain on that where we kind of end it and then we go into a version of "Fuck All Y'all" just like for the very last bit. Yeah. And for that, I was thought about having like Clayton come in and just do like a yell or something just to kind of push it through. But at the same time, that felt like where it was it would have been pulling too much Mm -hmm. at that point it would have been oh well of course he's got Clayton on a track kind of thing and I always wanted to avoid that have actually only played one show together. Yeah. And never like took us on the road or anything like that no, either. And only within the past few years, actually within the last year, 
have Jeff and I actually seriously discussed doing stuff together. Yeah. And I think it's honestly just because of where our bands are now. Yeah. Because when we were doing that stuff, Annie scene was also going through a lot. Uh, yeah. They were going through the passing of Joe. They were going through different lineup changes even mm-hmm. before that. And then after that. So it's like they were on this constant flux of just, you know, new stuff, new, new. Nothing was the same. Yeah. And now since Russ has been in the fold for so long and then, you know, after they got over what happened with Gooch and now they're with Barry and now um, Malcolm, it's like things are kind of leveling out and the band is becoming almost a new version. So it's like, because their new material is fantastic, but it's still not like old Annie scene. Mm -hmm. It has the taste, it has the flavor, but it's current Annie scene, you know? And I think just where their fan base is, they wouldn't be turned off by the vision of Young Bucks yeah. with any scene. And then also where we are as a band, sounding a bit different and not as monotonous of the typical rock and roll bands. Mm-hmm. And Jeff actually being a fan of like Motown and yeah. you know that kind of stuff. That that kind of makes it a little bit different. Yeah, it'd be one thing if we kind of sounded like an anti Zemo. Yeah. I don't yeah. think we sound anything like yeah. them. And and I think from that, it's just kind of turned into a situation of you know maybe this year we could do a show or two together. Yeah. You kind of thing. It's it's finally gotten to that point with both bands where it's like you know this this might work now. It felt a little odd before, but I think this could work now. Yeah. So you never know what will wind up happening. It, I think in the end, people may have just gotten perceptions, but hopefully that's just kind of died away. Yeah. You know? well, I don't think I don't, like, I don't look at you and go think about Jeff Clayton. I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're his son. It's not yeah. like you've got that, that hanging over exactly. you thing. So no. And, and I've never I, tried I, hiding I, I, it, but I definitely try not to talk about it. Yeah. I, I can see like, you know, for one, you don't want to use it as, as sort of your stepping stone. Right. And two, you know, there's there's going to be some people that, because they've been around for a long time, there's going to be some people that feel some type of way about them one way or the other. And right. you don't want that to be an influence on your band, whether it's good or bad. It's just, exactly. you know, whatever. And, and, and exactly. I wouldn't, I would feel bad. I would feel weird if we released a new album and I looked at the people buying it and they were all just diehard anti scene fans. Yeah. It'd be right. like, like ah. you're not really the audience I'm going for. Well, it's not even not, that not, you're not the audience we're going for. It's you're not our audience. Yeah. You're buying it because of because who we of, are, yeah. not what we are. I guess that's right. what I meant. By yeah, yeah, I get Just that. association. Yeah. yeah, you're exactly. You're buying it out of association, mm-hmm. not because you actually enjoy us. Yeah. But no, even with the new record though, it just it wound up just fitting though. Like it, it finally felt right. Like Mike, Mikey actually kind of talking about me kind of releasing a little bit of the you know tightness. Uh, time is now. That was a little bit more of a collaborative. This record though is probably the most collaborative we've been so far. Cap had a heavy hand in writing some of the stuff, and so did Mikey. And Mikey was helping me write the lyrics to uh, Return to Cinder. And we had a person. That's all we'll say. We had a person in mind when writing the song and we're like let's make a dramatized cartoonish version of this guy and we're like cool so we got like a lot of it written up and we're like this is funny this is cool it's gonna be a fun little inside joke i hope you use this part (laughs) (laughs) um, so and we were just like uh, i was like what's this character gonna do and like he's like fuck it he's done this that and the other he's basically trying to make a deal with the devil how about even the devil meets him and he doesn't want a soul I was like oh dude that's awesome so we're like trying to write all this shit out I said now for recording this I said I want a different voice and I just started thinking on it thinking on it I was like you know maybe get Mikey to do it do like some crazy voice or something you know maybe I'll do it put it like through a synthesizer or something and literally that night I'll see an Annie scene and I was just like wait a minute 
It's perfect. Wait a minute. <laughs> a sarcastic devil? I'm looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it right here. You're walking down to the fork in the road. It's like the best all before you rode. You start to speak, but he knows your name. What's your game, man? You want some pain? I met up with him a few days later. I was like, Jeff, I said, listen to this song. And I played it for him. He's like, wow, this, this is really good. It's your new stuff? I said, yes, I want you to have a part in it. He's like, and he almost already got that look. He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 you'll like it. You'll like it. Yeah, I showed him what part it was. He goes, oh, dude, yes. Like, he was genuinely excited for yeah. it, which actually made me feel good because it, it wasn't coming from a place of, yeah, I'll do you a favor. Yeah, yeah. I played it for him. He was genuinely excited yeah. about it, and he liked his role. He's like, oh, that's perfect. It's not too much. You get It's enough. He goes, I, I like this a lot. I was yeah. like, cool. It's, it's a great song. It's a, it's a great record. I mean, overall, I just I, I really like it. I was listening to it last Thank night. You. Just digging back into it again just to write a review of it for the, for the scene, but also mm. just, because, just because I like it. I mean, You're so just, nice. <laughs> well, man, it seems like the best stuff comes out of annoyance. Yeah. Because much Ugh. like what you were saying with this, that your last record, tons of turmoil trying to get this thing recorded, and it wasn't just like inner band stuff. It was like everything outside of the yeah. band, and it was just it was an absolute headache getting it done. And it's and it's one of those things. I think that's part of the reason I enjoy it more because we had to we almost had to fight to get certain things on the record. Yeah, and I think through that it made us appreciate us having these certain elements to it because we. We did weird shit with this. It's like we did some different stuff. There's twelve string guitar, mm-hmm. there's acoustic, you know, female backup singers, shakers, claps, tambourines. You give me things I never asked you for. This curtain call, no time for rock and call. Just take your favor, sitting by the door. Return to sender. record sounds great and i know you're ready for people to hear well people are already hearing it now yes. because you can get advanced copies now that's right you know from your website the fillins.com slash store slash store if you want to get right to it <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> get to it um but the cd release or not the cd it's a record yes. the record yep. release the official release will be when uh the the uh, digital when you can finally stream it online all that crap's gonna be march 27th yeah. um but the cool thing is is through the vinyl you actually get extra tracks and you'll be able to start getting those the weekend of the 20th so yeah. the week before uh the record itself has three other songs that the digital version won't have yeah uh we were we put out between the time is now and this one just a four song cassette tape ep called no love's lost and um we put three of those songs, No Love Lost, which is available already, and then re-records of Save the Rock and Drinking Again from our first record. Uh, we recorded those with Adam at the time. Yeah. And they hadn't been available outside of the cassette tape, so we put it on the record. And it probably still won't put out digitally, at least 
for a long time simply yeah, yeah. because we just wanted to be new stuff all right now and just a new way for people to listen to it. So you get the download code, all that crap with it. So the record is going to give you a little extra than what just the online is going to do. Yeah. So. And it's multicolored vinyl for all you collecting maniacs out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. got ca- to catch them all. <laughs> good <laughs> good luck with that. I think, I think I've, already, I've already got one of them. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and even on the colors thing, that, that was something else we wanted to do because um, on our Something Good For You episode, we talked about packaging and just mm-hmm. the ways to make it fun and we knew that doing vinyl was going to be in a very expensive thing so how do we hedge our bets and try to make it not just another music thing being released we talked about wanting to do a comic book yeah. talked about doing um, a whole bunch of other stuff and finally when we were looking to press records not a lot of people know this and now I don't mind saying it because we've already done it that's always my key we'll do it first and then yeah. I'll let people know so, <laughs> most places you go to press vinyl you can get a discount by selecting random color copies. Because they use like leftover stuff. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So let's say you order um, red vinyl for your run. <clears throat> when they put all those red pellets into the hopper to melt it down to make the basically kind of like wax before mm-hmm. it gets melted, there's always going to be leftover in that thing. Now, if you get like a red and black swirl, they're not going to be sitting there picking out the reds and the blacks, putting them back in the bins. So they just take that and put it in a huge ass dumpster. Yeah. And then what are they going to do with it? It's all these random colors. They just mix them together and then you can get discounted copies. That's like 10 cents less a copy Mm -hmm. than just standard black vinyl because you're using their scraps. And the cool thing from it is like, you don't know what you're going to get. We've seen dark Navy blue. We've seen one blue copy. Like that so far has been the rarest one. That's (laughs) awesome. looking. And then we've seen like a, Almost like a grayish black, and then an army green. Yeah, the neon. one I got is kind of an army green. It's mm-hmm. a dark, dark green. And then like neon purple, bubblegum pink with mm-hmm. like rainbow swirls in it. So the record is released by Hobo Wolfman Records, mm-hmm. and the Body Bags also recently released a CD and EP right. on Hobo Wolfman. The compilation, All Cops Are Bastards. Mm-hmm. You guys, uh, Body Bags are on that. War Boys US. War, uh, what am I doing? Grab the CD from behind you. Oh. oh. Uh, oh. Yeah, I don't know what he was pointing at. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, you need uh, a copy anyway, so there you uh, go. Thing Sloth is on it. Uh, who else from North Carolina? Uh, Home for the Day is on there. Home for the Day, yeah. When, when I Graveyard the Boulevard. Yeah, yeah Graveyard, Graveyard Boulevard, Boulevard, too. When I saw the track list, and I was stoked as hell because there were like bands on there that I just recently become fans of that I yeah. saw their names on there, like Satanic Panic. I was like, fuck yeah, um, I'm yeah. on a compilation with Satanic Panic. I love this. Right, it's, a, it's a great Rippy compilation. Rutherford's on it. Yeah. Uh, Electric Frankenstein. Yeah. There was like a bunch of heavy hitters that I was like, holy fuck, he knows all these guys? This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're doing some good things, and I, I, I'm glad. I think he's from North Carolina originally. The, yeah, the he was from North Carolina. We actually started talking on Facebook the other day. We were to, we were at like a few shows together and like talked, but didn't remember talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> because he was talking about a GG uh, or a murder junkie show, rather, that uh, he was at where the flat tires open. I was like, hey. I was at the one of those shows. He's like, no shit. I was the guy that got busted up real bad. I was like, holy fuck, I've got a video of you. And I like searched through on my Facebook and I found a video of him. I sent it to him. I was like, is this you? He goes, yes, that's me. I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> that's awesome. Anytime I play Snug Harbor, he always says something about it. It's like, I used to go there all the time. 
Yeah, but then he moved out to uh, Chicago and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and then started up Hobo Wolfman. He's just been grabbing some really cool Charlotte bands. I think Body Bags are the only other band right now that are quote unquote signed yeah. to Hobo. But he he's been talking about really building it back up and <clears throat> kind of reaching out to his old Charlotte scene to some bands he likes. I just appreciate the fact that I mean just just from this compilation alone, just the the number of bands from this area that are yeah. on it. I appreciate the fact that somebody's paying attention to it because that that's one thing I think that lacks in this area is there's not really any labels. There's not a label. There's not a Charlotte label. No, there, a there's a bands. few, but it's kind of like what Capital Saint or like that shoegazy indie yeah, stuff. Yeah, and then there's like you know there's 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 labels that will release something every now and then, but there's not a, a steady label. And that's one thing I noticed when I first got into the music scene. Like a lot of the bands I discovered from the Triangle area and from Colum- South Carolina and Columbia. There were labels at that mm-hmm. time that put out seven inches, and if I saw a seven inch by that label, I was going to pick it up. Yeah, and you don't see a whole lot of that these days. And I think it's because a lot of people just—it's hard for them to foot the bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's—I don't, I don't blame anybody for not wanting to run a label because yeah. you can't make your money back. It's hard to make your money back, at least. Yeah, um, I, I won't say it's impossible, but it's hard. So I don't blame anybody for not wanting to do it. Well, That's, it's like there was no profit there for a while. Mm-hmm. Might as well just lean into it with the names, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's just all there. Is. That's just how it is. No profit and no profit. Yes, no profit. <laughs> record, <take> no profit. <laughs> well, it's like, but even like through that, I mean, even though we released uh, the hit, the gas seven is through no profit records uh, with David. Uh, yeah, Deadlock and us, we still paid the bill on. Yeah, it. exactly. So it's like that's like with, with with our mystery school. We you know we we footed part of the bill on that. Yeah. Well, we, we footed the bill basically, but we got a deal on a recording. Exactly. Right. So it was still just basically a way to get it out there and yeah. put a name on it. Oh, of so. course. No, and that, and that's the fun thing with Hobo because it's like doing this was really no different because usually we just put Scatboy Records on it, which is you know Barry and Steve, <clears throat> yeah. and so it's like we usually just put that on there, but. With this, it's like we really wanted to try to reach a wider audience. And it's like it felt like we kind of exhausted all of our options by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, and we felt just so strongly about this new material that it's just like I didn't want it to go unheard. And even kind of leaning into that with the song, with the title of the record, never, never heard, heard of them. them. It's yeah. like I, people still haven't heard of us. And it's like I want this record to be heard. It's like I'm not if we were trying to make money on this, we wouldn't have pressed it to vinyl. Right. You know, so it's like, take that out of your mind. I, I'm not saying this is, and I don't want people to hear us so we can make money. I want people to hear it because I'm pa- we're passionate about yeah. this. And we're proud of this. And it's one of those situations where, like, while well, I was saying, talking about going to Atlanta, it's like, if people gave it a chance, mm-hmm. I find that being the biggest issue with anything is people just don't give it a chance. Exactly. It's not that they don't like it. They're aware of it. They just haven't taking that time to press the play button. Mm-hmm. Just press the play button. You never know what you're going to find. Yeah. And, and I would even say that, that even comes down to even like podcasts or movies or something. It's like, just just try it. Yeah. Just it's press only, play. It's only, a couple like of, it. it's only a couple of clicks away. Yeah. <laughs> and and I found and I found myself in that hole too, but ever since I just started pressing play on stuff, like I would see something come up on Facebook, I wouldn't just scroll past it now. I'm like, eh, this person's sharing. I'll check it out. I mean, yeah. listen to it for 30 seconds, but I press play. I gave it a shot. Yeah. I mean, I, I usually have something playing in the background anyway. So mm-hmm. I've gotten to where now when I hear of a band, instead of going, oh, I need to check them out, I go, okay, I can go to Spotify. I look them up and I hit play right then because if I don't, I'm not going to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'd say still probably nine times out of 10, I listen to them and go, oh, they're pretty good. 
and then maybe never think about it again. And that's something but, else I appreciate, like with Hobo, uh, with them releasing a compilation album. Mm-hmm. Not, not a lot of people do compilation albums anymore yeah. either. And that's also a good way because one of the few labels I can think of that kind of do the same thing Hobo Wolfman does is a Spaghetti Town Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're based out of Atlanta, um, but he's got a bunch of really cool artists. He who cannot be named. He helped release uh, oh, yeah. his solo record recently. Yeah. And um, he's got stuff like uh, The Ravagers on there, a um, bunch of really good shit, uh, Sweet Things. Yeah. And <clears throat> he recently did a compilation record for the Down South Showdown shows that get put on down there that we were a part of one mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And um, he released a vinyl compilation of all that. And it worked so well because not all the bands were signed, but they all worked in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So it was just a really cool comp. And it turned me on. It got me enjoying a bunch of the other bands that maybe I missed on a previous day of the festival, shit like that. Yeah. And then with this, I had... Like I said, I'd heard a lot of the bands on there, but three-fourths of them, I didn't know who those guys yeah. were. But listening to it, I'm just like, holy crap, we're in some good company. This is an awesome compilation record. And, and the more I listen to it, the more I'm going to become fans of those bands. So it's like, I'm, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly happy to be part of Hobo Wolfman Records because it's, it's a certain kind of passion you don't see. Yeah. He has a true passion for what he is. He does. I, I can tell that. I don't. I don't know him. I haven't even messaged him. I like, sent him a message last night just about maybe doing an ad. Yeah. But um, I don't really know him. But I can tell just from what he's doing that he has that passion. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and that's what we want. It, that the band was driven out of passion. Mm-hmm. So we want people on our team with the same kind of passion. And it seems like unfortunately what we sometimes run across are people that do this as a hobby. Right. The band is a hobby. Their promotions are a hobby. Their whatever you want to call it. It's it's just their extra. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to speak for anyone else other than me at the table, but it's like the band is my life. Yeah. If you ask me what's new, you're asking me what's the band doing. That's the same with me. It's, it's if you ask me what what am I doing? It's either going to be band related or now it might be podcast related too. But it's yeah. still it's all going to be music related. And I struggled with that because it felt very narcissistic. Mm-hmm. It felt like very me 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 me. If people asked what's up, oh, well, my band is doing this. My podcast is doing this. My, 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 my. But then it's like, well, if every part of your day is taken up by what you love, and if what you love is making music, sorry sorry if that's perceived as narcissistic. I truly believe in what I do, and I love what I do, so that's what's going on. Well, you ask anybody else, and they're going to tell you about, oh, my job, and this and this, and this sucks, and this is good about it. Yeah. It's the same thing. And, and that's the thing that we've been really thankful and grateful for, especially over the last few years, because we have always struggled with finding local press. Mm. There was always outlets, and I'm certainly not going to name names, but we would send countless press kits to any of the print that would be out. And I wouldn't get even an email back. I'd send emails. I would send handwritten stuff. I would send physical CDs. Mm. Nothing. But for some reason some random indie blog in Chicago loved us and posted about us. Yeah. Uh, we go to Atlanta once and get on their radio station. Mm-hmm. 
it's like there, there were so many things where it was like, this doesn't add up. What What's happening here? But within the last year, between Gabba Gabba, huh? And then uh, Johnny Golian uh, doing his reporting from 20XX mm-hmm. thing. We found people that have just such a drive and a passion for what they do that has been sorely needed here in town mm-hmm. that it just it feels so refreshing to finally go, oh, wait, you are passionate about doing music reviews? There's no one here that does music reviews, and there's so many bands that would love to have some yeah. local press or, you know, oh, wow, you, you want to do a podcast now? Oh, my God, there's only these two other chuckleheads that don't even talk about music that do a podcast. <laughs> It'd be great to do yours. So it's like there's so many outlets now that – I think just being driven out of necessity yeah. you know, that I am really excited for what this next century is going to hold well, for I, what's coming in the town. And it just all goes back to that DIY. I mean, if we, like you said, it's a frustration of uh, being in a band and trying to get press. It's going to take a little while for it to grow, but for what it's worth, at least I'm putting something out there and trying exactly. to help, help people out and try to make everything better for everybody involved. This, this, this is work. not about me. This is about the music scene because that's what I love. Right on. And I don't care, like you said earlier, I don't care if it's Van Huskins or if it's the fill-ins or if it's Trash Room or if it's No Anger Control or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see somebody blow up from this area and just oh, yeah. just shine a little a more of a spotlight on this area. Yeah, because again, especially in this region like Capital City, North South Carolina, there is some true talent in this area. Well, uh, our release shows, we're kind of staggering them out. Uh, we didn't want to do just like one show. It's like we... This is big for us, so we just wanted to make it a big event, you know, in general. So yeah. we're doing like like release shows for two months, yep. essentially in different <laughs> in different states and different towns, hitting up our territories. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, the first one we're doing is going to be at the Rim in uh, Norton, West Virginia. Uh, we're playing with Home for the Day. We're bringing them up with us, and then uh, Dragline from Pittsburgh mm-hmm, and Mom and Tequila, which is kind of like their little house band. Yeah. And then we're trying to figure out a date to do after that on our way back down. We just hadn't gotten anything solidified. But then um, the big ones are going to be at Yesterday's Records in uh, Seneca, South Carolina on the 20th. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's going to be with the Silver Tongue Devils. And then the day after, we're going to bring them right back up to the Milestone on the 21st. Mm-hmm. With the Walburns. Yes. And that one's going to be the big blowout one. We've got some really fun stuff planned. Because, again, what did I say at the beginning of this episode? My favorite band is Kiss. Yeah. You can't tell me we're going to do a big show and I'm not going to pull out some fun surprises. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, some vinyl release show. 12 yeah. inch. We're, I we're love t- yeah. I love Alice Cooper and Kiss. Yeah. Okay, keep that in mind when you come to these release shows. We're gonna have some fun. <laughs> getting wardrobes all decked out. Oh yeah, it's gonna. It's, I, you're getting. Well, you're getting your. Wardrobe I'm getting mine decked, decked the fuck out. <laughs> I'm thinking stuff I can do on stage to make it fun. But uh, but yeah, then after that, uh, going down to the art bar on. Um, April 3rd with yes. uh, Turbo Gatto and um, the Buzzers of Fuzz, which they did an episode of our podcast that was still one of my favorites. And then after that, I mean, we just still got a handful of dates kind of booking around. And then uh, we'll wind up going down to Atlanta on uh, 6-6 for a festival that has not been announced yet, but that's a tiny teaser. <laughs> we got a lot of shows coming up. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely looking forward to that. Then, like I said, the digital release that will come out on uh, the 27th of March. Just yep. give everyone some time to get their vinyl copy and enjoy it the way it should be enjoyed. And then all the new millennials and the, all that 
fun stuff for yeah, us. I'm, I'm certainly enjoying it. So, it, and it'll probably be available at Repo Records yes, here uh, in Charlotte. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely be getting it in Repo. And then I know that uh, Danny from uh, Hobo Wolfman, uh, the guy that runs it, he wound up putting a few copies out in his local record shops yeah, in uh, yeah. Chicago and around those areas. So, Basically, anywhere we're going. Yesterday's records, we'll get a few copies in there. That's the reason we got that show. Yep. So a handful of people will be able to get it locally. But again, if you just want to get it ahead of time, we're shipping orders out now. Just go to thephillins.com slash store. Get you a copy. And hell, I'll go all out with it. We got t-shirts. We got buttons. We got stickers. We got it all. We got cassette tape. I was just just thinking this is like the first episode where I've really done plugs. (laughs) So so we definitely don't want to forget. uh, We've mentioned it already, but the Something Good For You podcast. Yes. The best place to listen to that would be just I, I tell people look it up on iTunes or Spotify yeah it's like iTunes, I, I I like directing our listeners I'll, so it's like if you got an Apple device listen to us on iTunes yeah. if you got an Android device download Spotify if you don't have it which I'd be surprised if you don't already but you don't even have to have a paid Spotify account for it. You can listen to that yeah. stuff for free on there. So, yeah. so just listen to it through Spotify or iTunes, but then we also mirror it on uh, SoundCloud, uh, Spreaker, all the other places that people don't listen to it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and then uh, of course, and then the fun thing with the podcast, we actually have a voicemail hotline. Yes, we so do. So we'll go ahead and say that on this show. Yeah, if, yeah, if, if, you, if you guys have comments, if you guys want to throw some love and talk about this episode or talk about Gabba Gabba, huh? Say, give a little bit of love back his way. You can always reach us on our voicemail hotline. It's not live. You just call, leave a voicemail, and the number is five one three four six three seven four. This isn't the Gabba Gabba Hunt podcast. (laughs) This show sucks. Gabba Gabba Hunt's better. And there's there's 59. They're getting ready to be 60 episodes of that. So you can go back and dig in anywhere you want to. You can start from the beginning. Um, I don't know if these guys would recommend you go back. (laughs) You don't have to. (laughs) But you can always at least go back as far enough to listen to uh, your episode with Eric. I was going to say, if nothing else, listen to episode 40 and listen to episode 60 because I'm on that one. That's perfect. Those are are a little bit of the same uh, uh, shameless self promotion on my end. Of course. Hey, look Look at the company you're in. Even even, look, you got to admit, even though you're doing this for everyone else. There's still a certain touch of ego because it's oh, yeah. your show. Come uh, trust on me, I've talked about that plenty. This is, this <laughs> we're we're musicians. We have a bit of ego. Yeah. There, there, there's a reason why I'm doing this, and it's because I, I love to do it. But you know, ultimately, I, I hope I get something out of it as well. And I'm sure you will. Absolutely. <laughs> Rock and roll's a dirty job, and we're working nine to five. When the lights go out and the voice is loud, we all come alive. You wanna know what it's all about? You wanna scream, but you cannot shout. While I'm young and I'm living free, hold on tight if you're coming with me. You gotta hit them pound by pound like the best. No regrets. Don't hold me back. I'm
comfy. Yada, 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 yada. Talky, 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 talky. I like the radio. <laughs> I like being on radio. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be pretty good right there. This has been a Gabba Gabba Hunt media production.